welcome to Dark Alignment Podcast. I am Brittany. And I'm Aruka Rose. And we are a true crime astrology podcast here for you today. Right now. (laughs) And every day. In this moment. We're always here for you. Um, (laughs) This is season three, episode four, and we are covering the horrific story of Fred and Rosemary West. So... Um, before we jump into some really, really terrible things about two really terrible people, um, just want to start out by saying you can find us on all the platforms, all mm-hmm. social media. Mm-hmm. So follow us, connect with us, be sure that you like and subscribe and rate and review, especially reviews. Like reviews, thank you so much for checking <laughs> it out. Um, it really helps me. <laughs> it makes me feel like I'm speaking from an artistic space. Oh, good, okay. All right, uh-huh. I'll continue. Uh, yeah, please continue. Uh, <laughs> but for real, um, reviews really help us. So if you want to just like tell us your mercury placement or tell us, I don't know, your favorite type of cheese, that w- I would actually really love to know. Um, it just really helps people find the podcast. It helps boost us up the algorithm. And those are all free ways to support us. But if you feel like you need to go above and beyond, yes, the extra mile, you just really want to take it further. Wait, which one is that? Is that pal? Which one takes it further? Makes things go further. Pals? No. Folus? Folus. Folus. Okay. Yeah. If you want, if you're feeling the the pull, (laughs) you like want to do so much more, you can join our Patreon Mm -hmm. and we have three tiers to our Patreon now, so you can become a pod snack, a murder moon, or a top chart bitch and get access to everything. So Patreon has actually been viewing us now for hmm, oh, like 30, almost 20 minutes. 20 minutes because we did another segment before this that we recorded. They've been getting full behind the scenes access. Mm-hmm. Um, they get 100% access to everything. Mm-hmm. So Patreon's where you want to be. They actually are live streaming this episode right now. The rest of the public had to wait. Mm-hmm. Patreon gets to view every single episode live. You um, guys should get on there and check out our behind the scenes drama that just happened. It yeah. was insane. It was insane. It was insane. I just did the worst thing ever. It was actually really, really <laughs> fucking funny. Um, <laughs> I kind of forgot about it until you said... I'll just keep bringing it up and shaming myself. Uh, even though I've totally <laughs> forgot about it. But it, it was a, it was kind of like a, a hostess Five years from now. Is that remember, remember that one time I did this years ago? I'll remember <laughs> it forever if you keep reminding me. And that's the only way I'll remember it. Anyways. But anyway. Go check that out. Check that You're out. You're invited to become a patron and check all the things out. You also get um, the charts and the notes to all of our episodes. So yep. if you want to look at the charts with your own eyes. Or if you want to see my crazy notes, they're actually kind of funny. Mm-hmm. I try I try to yeah, entertain myself with the way that I write things. Very, so. very good and detailed and funny. It's very, yeah. Um, so we'll go ahead and go with my sources for this episode. So... Wikipedia is my first source. Actually, please hold me accountable. I need to do my annual donation. Um, I have not done it yet, and I need to, so, like, don't let me off the hook. Like, I use Wikipedia a lot for this podcast, so if you are a user, um, make sure that you are donating to the cause. Uh, Other sources. I use a lot of documentaries for this one just because Mm -hmm. this story is so fucking fucked up that I just, I don't know. (laughs) Reading about it feels worse than than documentaries. I don't know okay. why. Actually, I do know why, because it's terrible. 
So uh, there's Real Crimes, A Match Made in Hell. Okay. Top Fives on YouTube had some really good videos about it. House of Horrors, Britain's Most Hated Couple, another good documentary. The Unsolved Network was another great resource. Wonders, Born to Kill documentary. And several other just random like YouTube shorts. So uh, I lost track a little bit because mm-hmm. I you consumed don't, you a don't lot. so deep. But here we go. Trigger warning. Fucked up shit ahead. Like it's really, really I'm, bad. I'm like worried to hear the story myself. Um, I would say that this story is at the level of like Albert Fish, which was horrific. I feel like it's like mm-hmm. Jeffrey Dahmer level um, there's no cannibalism, but it's just, it's so fucking horrific. So please be warned now. There is a lot of things that could be very triggering in this episode. So you've been warned. Um, and also my delivery is not going to be like CNN. Uh, mm-hmm. I do talk from a little bit of a lighter space. I kind of have to, mm-hmm. like, it's just, I, I'm not trying to be fucking Nancy Grace or whatever. So, and I will be taking notes during this one like I used to because I did not take notes ahead of time for this episode. Okay. Well, here we go. Overview. This is already bad. It already is bad. So, <laughs> this is an English serial killer couple who sexually assaulted, tortured, and murdered at least 8 young women, then buried their dismembered bodies in their patio garden or their cellar between the years of 1967 and 1987. Long time. They were total fucking monsters. I actually believe they murdered 12 victims total. So, we're going to go ahead and start with Fred West and his childhood. Um, so, he was born September 29th, 1941 in England, as I said. The cities and the towns and all that kind of confuses me, so I just left it out of this because I was like, I don't know how to say it. It's easier. And it confuses me, so I apologize uh, for anybody who really wants that info. You can you can look it up on Wikipedia, for sure. Um, but he was born into a family of poor farm workers, but they were really close-knit. A lot of, like, families that work in agriculture end up being that way, especially when you're living in a more rural community. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone is very protective of one another, so a pretty tight family unit. And I've heard mixed accounts on his birth order. So okay. I, I've heard both that he was the youngest child, which I, I don't feel like that's true because he's has a younger brother, mm-hmm. um, from what I understand. And then another story says he was the oldest surviving child. So, that his mother birthed eight kids, but only six of them survived. Gotcha. That seems, like, more likely, but I'm not Mm. quite certain. Um, This is a little fuzzy. And then his father was a very tough disciplinarian. Okay. And his mother was very overprotective. And you see that dynamic uh, pretty often. That's not, like, super uncommon. Mm -hmm. Um, But it creates a lot of strain between parents and how they want to... um, enforce any sort of discipline it can be very confusing for the kids too because a lot of times they're getting very mixed messages um between their two parents so his dad basically worked the farm all day he like milked cows and harvested crops and their their childhood home like they didn't even have electricity so this is very bare bones Mm -hmm. um this is this is a, a pretty tough upbringing for anyone um but 
his mother, like, he was very close with his mother. She was always his favorite child, but mm-hmm. it was uh, really fucking unhealthy. This was not, not a good situation. Um, and his mom and his siblings were pretty much his only source for a social life. So okay. they, the kids were all very close to one another. Mm-hmm. And they worked on the farm just like the adults. And this is, again, very common, especially mm-hmm. back then. Um, and they had really gendered uh, roles on the farm where the girls would pick berries mm-hmm. and the, the boys would hunt. Um, okay. Fred didn't have any friends at all. So his classmates... This is really sad. This is how they described him. Scruffy, dim, lethargic, and pretty much always in trouble. Mm-hmm. So um, his peers really didn't like him very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was not very well received, which that's a critical... If you've listened to this podcast before, I talk about yeah. this a lot, how important peer relationships are to a kid. Like That's a huge factor for resiliency. It's a protective factor. So you can have a lot of other negative things going on in your world but if you are have some positive relationships and positive social interactions it can really counteract Mm -hmm. some of that bad shit but you know he was not very intelligent um not book smart anyway he actually could barely read he was almost illiterate oh wow um but he was really good at like art and woodworking so he had some Mm -hmm. talents but he left school and he was 15 because he literally couldn't read uh, and just ended up working on a farm. And now, trigger warning. This shit is very fucked up. Remember how I said things were weird with his mom? Yeah. Well, Fred claims that there was a ton of incest going on oh, no. in this family. Starting when he was 12 years old, his mother allegedly took his virginity, introduced him to sex at this time, and pushed him into bestiality so um like she was forcing him to um engage in sexual activities with animals and i believe it like it's alleged Mm -hmm. that she herself was also participating and um so this is really really fucking horrific and that was also allegations that their dad molested the young girls in the family so his sisters regularly and if this is happening in a situation, this is normalizing it's the behavior scary. because they like kids don't have any other point of reference, especially in this environment where they really are such a close knit family. So isolated, they don't know better. They... Right, they're they're literally learning. This is how you behave. This is what families do. This is very normal. So that's the message that's mm-hmm. being sent here. So this is feel like nauseous uh-huh it, it doesn't get better so All right. um just I, when i think about how much of this i've had to like this has been and i i have watered this down i have watered mm-hmm. this down significantly as far as specifics but i have read things i can't unread um but one of his brothers later claimed that fred made this up i just don't know i hope it isn't real because like Holy shit, but... Okay, can I go either way? Can yeah, I, I really... I just don't know. There's no way to know. This was the 40s. We don't really have a good account of what happened here, but... Uh, another bad thing that happened in Fred's younger life to kind of just add extra fuel to the fire, you know, on top of abuse, on top of not having friends, on top of, like, all these other difficulties and other challenges... 
Um, he had a major head injury when he was 17. And I've heard like a few different accounts, but the one that seems most plausible is a motorcycle accident. Mm-hmm. So um, head injuries, especially like it said that it uh, damaged his prefrontal cortex. So that's a part of your brain that um, doesn't develop until much later in life. That's mm-hmm. like the part of the brain that works with like impulse control and being able to kind of um, hold back like aggression and kind of, you know, it's, it's that like thing that says, chill out you know mm-hmm. like think it, before it, you act it's kind of right. like that piece of the brain um which is why children are not tried in the same way as adults mm-hmm. in criminal hearings because of this developmental um issue yeah. like it it's you know their brains aren't fully developed so we can't expect them to behave like adults is the is the argument there unrelated but that's just like the way it's looked at legally but mm-hmm. that's the part of his brain that was damaged in this um Motorcycle accident. So, take that for what you will. Mm-hmm. There is no single cause of criminality. Just want to point this out. Um, it's a combination of several risk factors and kind of a perfect storm mm-hmm. of events. And that's a lot of things we see it on mm-hmm. the charts. Like right. that's what and the, it's also also reflected with the energies and the and the planets and everything. So it's very. Yeah. I, I don't believe anything is caused by one specific thing. I think we have a lot of ways to explain the same things. Right. So, um, now we're going to move into his emerging adulthood. So, he's grown up. My God. Uh, when he turns 21, he marries his first wife. Her name was Catherine, but everybody called her Rena. And she was already pregnant with another man's child at the time. So, okay. not a big deal. Like, a year later, they had a child together. Uh-huh. So, they've got, you know, a, he has a stepdaughter and a daughter now. Seems okay so far. Uh, Fred worked as an ice cream van driver, which obviously means he was a catch. Um, No, actually, he was a huge piece of shit. Um, He was super, super abusive. So he and Rena ended up, like I said, having that child together. They're this blended family. But Fred was so awful, he actually kept his daughter and stepdaughter in the bottom of a bunk bed. With bars in between the spaces. So, like, basically they were in cages. Okay. It's fucking horrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, they were only allowed out when he was at work. So, um, not only was he a shitty father, but he had several affairs during his marriage. He had an illegitimate child. And when Rena found out about this, she started cheating on him, too. But, um... When he found out about this, he beat the shit out of her. So he was very controlling, jealous, possessive, sadistic, and, like, very disrespectful, just terrible person. Um, He also reportedly sexually abused his daughters. Uh, He asked his wife at the time to become a sex worker to bring in more money. And Mm -hmm. after a bunch of very messy bullshit between them they finally got divorced like the whole thing was really really dramatic it was very on again off again um so i didn't want to go i could have done 30 minutes on that relationship alone um gosh my allergies are so bad today okay anyway i could have done a lot on just that um but they get divorced the worst part is that rena leaves the kids with fred so she leaves him no. alone with the two girls. Um, they're very small at this time. 
Um, and he didn't know what to do. He like needed a woman there to help him raise them. So he's like, need to get that going ASAP. Um, mm-hmm. So he uh, has a, another young woman in his life that is kind of like filling this role. It's his 18-year-old mistress. And she's also okay. pregnant with his child. Oh, convenient. Uh-huh. And then, then she mysteriously vanishes. So there's that. Uh, and then he's looking for someone new once again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rena's gonna come back into the story too, and it's not good news. So, like, hang on to that for a minute. Now we're gonna talk about Rose. Okay, so we talked <laughs> about Fred, what his life was like. Now we're gonna talk about Rose, how she grew up, and then we'll get into how they became a couple and how their paths crossed. So, okay, Rose was born on November 29th, 1953. She was born into a pretty well-to-do family. She had three siblings. They lived in a very nice home. And on the outside, mm-hmm. everything looked, you know, really good. Um, but her mother had very severe depression. And when her mom was pregnant with her, she was receiving ECT treatments. So this is electroconvulsive therapy. Um, for those of you who are not familiar with it, um, and these treatments continued up until a few days before Rose was born, which is very oh. intense. I know I've mentioned this before on a different episode, but my grandmother still to this day receives these treatments. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very familiar with what they are, what they do. Um, but basically, it's medically induced seizures over and over to um, help combat severe mental health issues. So it's a really last resort type yeah. of um treatment and it, it wipes out the person's memory for sometimes weeks afterwards wow. um like it, it's it's a very tough very tough procedure so imagine being pregnant and i can't uh, and about to give birth in a couple of days like it's horrible so during infancy rose was often seen rocking her head back and forth mm. um and she would beat it against her crib, which is really sad. Her behavior was very strange, and it seems like this was a direct result yeah. of uh, the treatments that her mother was receiving. Also, as a child, Rose was a little bit overweight, so she was teased a lot by other children. She was rejected a lot by other children, which really impacts the self-esteem. It really is... Um, very difficult for a child, just any sort of peer rejection. But when it's when that rejection is for something about your developing body, especially for a young female, that can be very difficult and be very challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, she usually lashed out in violent ways at her peers too, which that makes you even less popular. That makes people want to spend time with you even less because then you're seen as this disruptive kid or the kid that causes problems. It's like. Mm-hmm. People don't really have sympathy for that kid either. They kind of, it almost like ags it on in, in a roundabout kind of a way. Um, and on top of that, more more major risk factors. Uh, Rose was sexually abused by her father from a young age. And mm. she also engaged in sexual activities with her brothers. So... It's very upsetting. Um, I know I mentioned this earlier, but sex abuse is very confusing for children. Mm -hmm. They are, it's horrific, but it's so confusing for what it does to their development and the way that they believe they are supposed to be connecting with other people. Mm -hmm. 
and they believe this is love. It can also, sex can sometimes be used as a weapon or mm-hmm. like a means of manipulation or I want to get what I want. So I like in, engaging mm-hmm. in sexual activity. It's It becomes this very, very um, twisted, difficult situation that's just, it, it impacts development drastically. So yeah. um, have a lot of empathy for young Rose and what she went through here because it's, it's no wonder she ended up finding an abusive kind of a partner. So now we're going to get to the grossest meat cute ever. Mm. Here we go. More trigger warnings. This whole episode is a huge trigger warning. So um, Rose was only 15 years old when she met Fred at a bus station. And she initially thought that he was fucking gross. And this is a correct assessment. Because he's 28 years old. She's 15. I noticed Not there was okay. an age difference when I pulled the chart. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I was hoping they met her later in life. Nope. Uh-uh. Okay. <laughs> nope, she was, she was 15. Um, so no, unfortunately, that was not how it went. Um, and she thought that he was a slob. Um, she was repulsed by him. Okay. She, uh, he had really, really nasty teeth, like rancid, like fucked up. Like you can tell in pictures, it's bad. Um, so she just thought he was super gross, uh, mm-hmm. but he was very persistent. He gave her lots and lots of attention and that was... You know, she liked that. I mean, yeah. what 15-year-old girl doesn't enjoy getting attention? I feel like it's just, you know, it's... Especially, yeah, especially when you've been beaten down and... Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So, um, she eventually... She doesn't agree to go on a date with him. He asks her several times. But she does, okay. like, let him walk her home, and she uh-huh. kind of starts to trust him a little bit. Uh, it's also important to point out Rose had never had a boyfriend before, this okay. is her first relationship, but she was also very sexually experienced and extremely promiscuous. Okay. Um, so that's not uncommon either for uh, victims of sexual abuse because sex has been so normalized. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw this with like Eileen Warner. It's like, well, you know, yeah, where yeah, you know, she was she was engaging in sex acts it's for not, food and cigarettes uh-huh. by the time she was like eleven. You know, when it's when it's so normalized, it, mm-hmm. it it's very different. It's very... Right. It manifests very differently. Um, so, so that's just very unfortunate, all, everything about that. Um, but Fred also played on her emotions by telling her about, like, how his first marriage ended with Rena and that he's, like, got these two little girls mm-hmm. and... Um, she starts to let her guard down with him. She mm-hmm. starts to feel bad for him. Uh, and within a few weeks of meeting Fred, she left her job. She worked at like a little bread shop. Yeah. She left her job to become the nanny of Fred's two daughters. Uh, their names were Charmaine. And her name uh, is now Anne-Marie, but she was born with the name Anna-Marie. So she changed it. So I'm going to call her Anne-Marie Okay. Uh, she's very important part of this story. Right. So, um, but Rose's parents were not into Fred. They really did not like their daughter being in this relationship. Mm-hmm. They were worried about her, and uh, like most sophomores, uh, Rose didn't really care what her parents <laughs> thought about it. So, um, her parents went to social services as like a workaround. They're like, okay, well, she's not going to listen to us. Like, mm-hmm. we'll just. 
we'll have to intervene a different way. So uh, they had reportedly heard that Fred had put Rose, uh, had her engaging in sex work. Yeah. Uh, it's horrible because she's a child. Like, she's still 15. So this is not something that she is old enough to even consent to doing yeah, on her own. Um, and then the response to this from social services is they put Rose in a home for troubled teens. And she was still allowed to visit home on the weekends. And, of course, she continued to see Fred. So mm-hmm. this was a toxic kind of attraction going on. Um, Rose left her, left the home like, right after she turned 16 and she moved right back in with Fred. So this went back and forth. This was a lot of messy drama that I won't go into, but I could have again mm-hmm. done like 40 minutes yeah. just on this, um, mm-hmm. drama city, but her parents pretty much ended up disowning her. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and Rose is now pregnant with their first child oh. as a couple. Shit's about to get so much fucking worse, you guys. It gets progressively worse. So, if you think you've heard anything bad that you've struggled to hear already, brace yourself because this section is called Getting Gross. I didn't know. Getting, that, yeah. Not much else you can. It progresses. So, I'm, here we go. All right. We're going to skip forward. Rose is 17 years old at this point. She gave birth to their first child, a daughter named Heather Ann. Hmm. Uh, and Fred is just this loser who keeps finding himself in prison for all these random theft crimes. So he's committing all sorts of petty crimes here and there. But he actually had to go to prison for six months. This means Rose is now the mom of Charmaine and Anne-Marie, mm-hmm. and raising an infant by herself. And she's still a teenager. So, she was not sweet and kind. Like, mm-hmm. you might expect a teenage girl to be that's in this mothering space, uh-huh. you know? Um, she wasn't that at all. She was actually a fucking sadist. So, she frequently subjected the girls to beatings, uh, mm-hmm. lots of, like, harsh criticisms, other types of punishment. Um, but Anne-Marie, the younger sister, was pretty submissive, usually. She would have emotional responses to the torture. Like, mm-hmm. she would react to it. But Charmaine repeatedly pissed Rose off because she refused to cry. She refused to display any sign of subservience. Or emotion, no matter how severely she was punished. Um, So it's like she refused to give Rose the satisfaction of control. And this is a thing for someone who is a sadist. They need to see people suffering. Like that that Mm -hmm. makes, that arouses a sadist. Is they they thrive on knowing that they are causing suffering. So Mm -hmm. when Rose is doing all of this and she's not getting any response, like she's escalating and Mm -hmm. like... Want, she's craving that. She's seeking it. So, according to Anne-Marie, um, her older sister also liked to make snide comments to Rose, which is kind of funny. Like She's, like, comparing them to... Pa- comparing Rose to her birth mother, uh, Rena. Okay. So, basically, like, I, I kind of like her spirit that she's just, like, talking shit and just, like, you can't fucking break me. Like, I really like uh, her spirit a whole lot. Um... <laughs> 
So some of the torture and the, it was so bad. I'm going to tell a story. So prepare yourself. A childhood friend um, of the girls came forward years later about something she witnessed. Mm -hmm. She came over unannounced one time. And it's fucked up. She saw Charmaine standing on a chair naked and gagged with her hands bound with a belt behind her back. And Rose was standing there with a wooden spoon. So you can only imagine what had been going on in that situation. It's just absolutely horrific. But this is the type of like sadistic fucking shit that Rose was doing unsupervised. This is why I think it's important to talk about this is because Mm -hmm. Fred's not there. Yeah. Rose is an aggressor Mm. all on her own. He's not there. Right. She will later try to make claims that it's all him. Obviously it's not. But it's obviously she is super fucking sadistic. Um, and this poor child had to receive medical attention, uh, a few times, but one time in particular, there was a puncture wound in her ankle that was really bad that she had to have, she had to go to the hospital. Mm. And Rose said it was a household accident. Uh-huh. Of course, she, you know, she like played it off. Um, it's just awful to think about what these girls went through. And unfortunately, Charmaine ended up dying. Uh, from the abuse before Fred was even released from prison. So it's pretty clear that Rose fucking murdered her. Like, Fred's not around for this. Uh, But, of course, she had a story prepared to explain it all. Okay. She said that Charmaine's biological mother, Rena, had come to get her, and the two of them had, you know, moved to London. So it was, like, a plausible story. She told the school. She told friends. She told neighbors this story. Mm. Um, Fred knew the truth, though. Uh, but Anne did. Anne Marie didn't know. She was like really distraught, like over the whole thing. And she, they told her the story of like, no, her mom came and got her. So she was like, why didn't my mom take me too? Because that's her biological mother. So she's like, why did she take me too? And Fred was like, oh, she wouldn't want you, love. Like Aww. he was like a dick and pretty much told her this lie. And it's a super asshole lie because Fred had already murdered Rena at this point. So spoiler alert. Um, oh my god. Spoiler alert. Uh, so, and Anne-Marie ended up writing a, an autobiography about this entire really? upbringing. Yeah. Wow. So, she found a voice, which, you know, there's, we'll talk a lot more about her. She's just a huge um, figure in all of this. So, uh, now we're going to talk about what happened to Charmaine. So, oh, here we go. So, after killing her... Rose stored her body in their coal cellar, like nearby, Mm -hmm. uh, and kept her there until Fred got out of prison. She needed him to dispose of her. Mm -hmm. So Fred buried her naked body close to the back door of their home. So she's right there. It's just so fucking terrible. So like I said, Fred had also murdered his ex-wife, Rena. Um, and it was because she tried to gain, regain custody of her girls. So she was trying to get them out of this. Mm-hmm. Um, she is believed to have died of strangulation, but he dismembered her. So he also placed her body parts into several plastic bags and buried her under some trees like a mile away from the home. So her body was found years later. Yeah. 
If that wasn't enough, uh, we're going to move into the next section called Grossest Couple Award because that was Rose by herself. We're about to find out what happens when these two are together. Okay. So, and it's this is how we're going to look at the charts too. We'll look at each of them by yeah. themselves. Yes. And then we'll look at the combination. So keep that in mind, even though I know mm-hmm. this story is really horrific. Like, keep this in mind for who they are as individuals mm-hmm. and now who they are as a couple. So we're going to talk about their relationship and then we're going to talk about their relationship with their kids. So we have two separate mm-hmm. things. I've kind of broken this down. This story was so big, I kind of broke it down into like smaller yeah. pieces for us to kind of dive into. So... On January 29th, 1972, Fred and Rose decide to get married. Mm-hmm. No friends or family were invited except Fred's brother. So it's like his little brother, John, is who... This is where I'm like, he can't be the youngest. He has a younger brother. Mm-hmm. Like, I swear. So um, they bought a house that was large enough to turn into like a mini apartment complex. Okay. So it's kind of a funky looking little place. It had like really steep stairways. It was kind of like a mm-hmm. weird... Weird place. Um, and they had short-term tenants right. that would rent some of the space from them. So, you know. Um, and then, guess what? On June 1st of 1973, Rose gave birth to another baby. Yeah. Uh, a little girl who they named May June because she was born on the May okay. kind of coming June. <laughs> so, that's kind of cute. Her name's cute, at least. Yeah, yeah. I like May June. Um, but then uh, right after giving birth, Rose becomes a full-time sex worker. So okay. she made this very convenient by working from home in an upstairs bedroom. Mm-hmm. She advertised her services in a local magazine. Okay. And Fred weirdly supported all of this. Also, um, like he wanted some of his housewives, someone else to do it too, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh, so. uh-huh. And uh, so more gross stuff. Here we go. Trigger, trigger, trigger. Right. Morning uh, times three or times ten actually probably. Um, okay. So just for fun, Rose also engaged in casual sex with both male and female mm-hmm. lodgers. That were staying in their house. And uh, a lot of people that Fred met through work. So she's doing sex work, paid sex work, and then also just... For fun. For fun. So Rose also bragged several people that no man or woman could ever completely satisfy her. So, uh, gross. Okay. and like I mentioned, Rose was extremely sadistic. So trigger warning as fuck um, when she was with women. No, no, no. Rose would gradually increase the level of brutality that she inflicted on her partner, and she did things like she partially suffocated them or used increasingly large sex toys. Mm. She was most excited when the women, just like any sadist, when the women resisted or expressed pain or fear. So she's thriving on that dominance. She's thriving on the fact that she's inflicting this pain and causing this emotional reaction and doing it in a violent way. Mm-hmm. And Fred joined in on the sex acts a lot of the time. Okay. So there's lots of threesomes, always very violent. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't go into detail about that. Some of the violence is just extremely disturbing. Yeah. Um, but when he didn't join, he still liked to watch um, through peepholes that they put of in course. their walls. So he's definitely engaging in a lot of voyeurism. 
there. He also put a fucking baby monitor in the room so that he okay. could listen from anywhere in the house. Ugh. Okay. By 1977, Rose's dad, he's entering the picture again, he finally decided that he was like cool with Fred. Started to kind of <laughs> respect him. Started to kind of like get along with him. All right. They even opened a restaurant together, which is kind of funny. Like, oh, okay. So they're like besties now, which is weird. Um, but then he finds out his daughter is a sex worker. Uh-huh. And how do you think he reacted? Do you have any guesses? Not good. Um, nah, he has an odd reaction. Instead of being angry, uh, Oh, wait, wait. He decides this to become a patron. This he, is her dad. He becomes a patron. Um, uh, okay. He starts making regular uh, visits to the house for sex with his own adult daughter. Uh, super fucked up. By 1983, Rose had given birth to eight children, and at least three of them were conceived by clients. Like, the, the friend was not the dad. He accepted all the kids as his own, though. He always, like, you know, he would tell them random reasons for them mm-hmm. being different skin colors. Like, they had a lot of uh, Pakistani clients. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, they would tell them things like, oh, it's, you know, your great-grandmother was, you know, like, they they would basically lie about their lineage to kind of explain that. So, that's their relationship with each other. Hmm. Ready to hear more worse, horrible things? Because this section's called Worst Parents Ever. Okay. (laughs) This episode is hard. Um, It is. It is. It is. We haven't done a a real heavy one like this in a while, so... Mm -hmm. Um, worst parents ever. Uh, when each of the West children reached the age of seven, they were assigned a ton of daily chores, which is not, that's not crazy. Like lots of kids when they're old enough to have chores, it's good to teach them mm-hmm. responsibility. Yeah. Um, yeah. but the kids were not allowed to socialize outside the house unless mm-hmm. their parents were present. So that's fucking uncomfortable. Um, they had to follow very strict rules. Mm. And there was a lot of severe punishment associated if they did not comply. So, the children were very scared, and Rose was the main person doing all of this. She was the more dominant personality. It was so bad that some of the older children tried to run away. They would only last a few weeks before um, they were brought back. Mm -hmm. And when they were brought back, they were severely beaten, severely oh, yeah. punished. Um, that's a common theme we see in abusive parent-child relationships uh, like this. We've heard a lot of stories, especially in more recent news. Um, mm-hmm. But between 1972 and 1992, the West children were admitted to the hospital 31 times. The injuries mm-hmm. were always mm-hmm. written off as accidents. They were never uh, reported to social services. And sometimes Rose was violent towards Fred, too. So. Okay. It wasn't just the kids. Uh, one time she actually chased after him with a knife. And to get away from her, he locked himself in a room. But she ended up nearly slicing off three of his fingers uh, trying to attack him. Oh. And the abuse continued. Eventually, the couple started sexually assaulting their own children, starting with Anne-Marie. So... That's horrible. Both Fred and Rose were involved in this. The details are so fucked up, I'm, like, not going to go into it. But yeah. this went on for years, and they started sex trafficking Anne-Marie when she was only 13. Mm. They told clients that she was 16. 
and Rose was always in the room during these, uh, I don't even know what to call them. It's just fucking sick. It's fucking sick. Okay. Worst people alive. Here we go. It just keeps escalating. Of course. It just keeps escalating. So uh, here we go. I'm just going to get through it, you guys. Okay. In October 1972, the West hired 17-year-old Caroline Owens as their children's nanny. Mm-hmm. They picked her up one night on a secluded country road where she was hitchhiking. Um, hitchhiking was extremely common in the mm-hmm. 1970s. There's a, that's, I feel like, you know, when you look back at the 70s being like a huge time for serial killers in America, obviously this story was not in America, but mm-hmm. the vibe of the 70s was very much, hitchhiking was totally fine. Like, people were not afraid to do it. Yeah. It was very common. Whereas nowadays, that's like, Actually, it's illegal to hitchhike on the interstate. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of um, hitchhiking is not. It's uh, not a typical thing anymore. Yeah, it's not acceptable mm-hmm. in the way that it once was. So, I think that's kind of important to, to talk mm-hmm. about. But they told Caroline that they would take her back home once a week to visit, um, and that she'd share a room with Anne Marie while she was there, being there, like mm-hmm. stay in nanny. So. Um, Rose explained all her male visitors by saying that she was a massage therapist. Mm -hmm. So, um, weirdly, Fred, this is so fucking weird. Fred told Caroline that he was a professional abortionist and that he would, he even added this in, like, I've seen interviews with her where she talks about this. She said that he always talked about sex, like, constantly. And one of the first things he said was that he was an abortionist and the women were so pleased with his work that they gave their bodies to him afterwards that he was like they just threw themselves i mean they're so pleased um, with what i did of course so, after an abortion that's what these it's just that a weird sense. yeah it's a fucking weird thing to say to somebody um and the way caroline talks about him she was just like basically like eye roll like this is the kind of shit he always uh, said he was yeah. just kind of that guy um and she ended up leaving the job after he made a pass at her so okay. Um, cause he always talked about sex, but when he finally like was making moves on mm-hmm. her, like she was like, I'm out. Um, but they knew where she hung out. They knew where she hitchhiked. They knew where to find her. Mm-hmm. So they made a plan to abduct her and sexually assault her. They roosted her in one night. They drove by her usual spot where she would be hitchhiking and they offered her a ride and an apology. So it was Rose who... Who was like, oh, we're so sorry. Like, we, you know, just kind of played up that, I feel mm-hmm. like that feminine, almost motherly energy. Like, she kind of, like, used it to get Caroline to let her guard down. Uh-huh. It's interesting because Caroline in interview says, like, she knew that, like, she shouldn't get in the car. She, like, knew it was a bad idea. She knew that not to trust them. Um but at the same time, this is so common. I hear women say this all the time where she didn't want to be rude. Yeah. Be rude. Be, be rude. so fucking rude. Um, like, don't... Uh, you don't owe anybody your kindness, especially if you're getting bad vibes. Like, you mm-hmm. don't have to be nice to them. Um, if you're afraid to, like... If you see somebody walking towards your vehicle that is scaring you, do not be afraid that they're going to hear the sound of your car door locking. Yeah. I, that, I did that car. literally yesterday. Uh, someone came up to my window and started asking me directions, and I no. I only, uh, well, I was in the parking lot at a Med Express, and oh it God. seemed like a really safe spot, so I cracked it and let him like screen talk at me, and I locked the door, and I like just pointed where I needed to go until oh. he left. I would have um, done this. 
I would have waved my arms frantically and I I had to sit there until my appointment time. So I was like, you know, I I'm not gonna not gonna do what Uh, you want, but like you were smart. Yeah. And, I can't believe you didn't tell me about this. I feel like this oh, there's there's been so much happening the past few days. That's true, but <laughs> this is news that I would want to know just for you, future. Yeah, I should have for to, future I should reference. Have. I would love to like rage about this with you. So. And he kept being like, "What? What? I can't hear you." As if as if I should oh. run down more. And I was I was like, "I'll talk a little louder." But that I'm sorry, no, dude. Google he, it. Google it. Uh huh. Use your GPS. Yeah. That's I would have been like, I don't know. I'm not from here. He was really close. He was like two buildings down, and he seemed really dorky. See, that's, in a way, I know that these that are all. You see this? You hear these red flags? I think they're definitely red flags. This should feel like a safe place. I look very dorky and non-threatening. I can't hear you. Can you speak up? Uh huh. Go yeah, inside. If he really needed directions that bad, he should have gone into the building and asked an administrator. That's true. You don't. He, I, I was yeah. so mad too. I'm I, proud I, of I, you. I know he saw like the hate in my eyes. When I was I'm very to him. proud of you. Thank you. That was a sidebar, but I'm an extremely <laughs> proud person of you right now. This is that is how you do it, friends. You don't worry about being polite to that guy. You tell him to fuck right off and use his GPS. <laughs> That is how I would take it. So anyway, I was a little nicer than I could have, than I really should have been. Oh, you're much nicer than me. <laughs> One day on the interstate, I was getting off uh, on my exit, and I was at the red light, mm-hmm. and there was literally a man. I could see him on the corner. I was trying not to look at him. He was screaming at my window and making all these huge mm-hmm. gestures, and I wouldn't look at him, and I could feel him getting more crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I just waited till light turned green. Never even fucking looked over at him. I already had my doors locked because that's how I live. Yeah, but. I refused to even look at him. That's probably what I would have done in that situation, too. I would have just continued to sit there. <laughs> I would have had to sit there for so long, though. I could have done it. It was like an hour wait. I definitely could have iced this guy <laughs> out for a solid hour. A solid hour. I would have, like, dialed 911 and showed him my phone. Um, <laughs> I wanted to get him gone was part of it, too. I do like this. Okay, we went off on a okay, major sidebar. Well, Sorry. Let's get, let's get back Stay safe track. out there, everybody. Um, so, Caroline... Gets mm-hmm. in the car with Rose and with Fred. Fred is driving. Rose joins her in the back seat mm-hmm. as they're going down the road and immediately starts to grope her. Caroline freaks out, like, and Fred pulls the car over and he turns around and he punches her in the head repeatedly until she's unconscious. And then they gagged her and they bound her. So it's awful. Um, she survives. So obviously she's done interviews. Um, Mm -hmm. so we'll go ahead and say that, but they took her back to the house. They drugged her. They assaulted her. I'm not going to go into detail more than that, but she escapes and she survives after pretending to comply with Fred because he, he wanted her to stay their nanny after this. Like we just did all this horrible shit to you. Mm -hmm. If I let you go right now, will you just like come back tomorrow and watch our kids for a while? And she says yes. So he kind of like made a deal with uh-huh. Caroline behind Rose's back. Whoa. Which was a big fucking problem in their marriage. She clearly uh-huh. was the one who like wore the pants. Wow. Um, Rose was pissed. Uh-huh. Caroline gets home and her mother sees all the bruises and marks on her daughter's body. Caroline tells her exactly what happens, goes to the police. Um, but because she did not want to testify against them in court because she was so traumatized, mm-hmm. uh, the West were allowed to plead guilty 
to a reduced charge um, of indecent assault and uh, causing intentional bodily harm. Oh, that's it? They got to pay a fine and walk free. And poor Caroline. Like, she was so upset. Like, she attempted suicide after this when she found out. So, fucking horrible. She does seem to be doing really well now, which is good news. Um, But it's a horrible time. So, more terrible things. We're almost through um, at least some of the worst parts. Uh, Now, we're going to talk about their pattern of murder. We're not out of the woods yet. Don't get me wrong. Um, So, Fred and Rose... Still gross. They picked up young girls. They did the same kind of thing over and over. Mm-hmm. Some of them were even boarders in their little, like, I don't know, bed and breakfast or hostel. Mm-hmm. Whatever the fuck they were trying to do with their weird little apartment complex. But the West learned from their previous abduction of Caroline, and they never let another one of their prisoners go free ever again. So, instead, uh, after sexually abusing and torturing their victims for several days at a time until they eventually died and succumbed to the injuries, mm-hmm. then Fred would dismember and dispose of the bodies of their victims, either in their coal cellar or under their patio. So, they were discreet with how they committed the crimes. Mm-hmm. Um, they were able to continue this behavior for over a decade because um, they were taking people in that kind of had more of that transient lifestyle. Yeah. So it's people who, you know, did a lot of hitchhiking and weren't, like, really and could maybe go missing for a while. Or, you know, so they were looking mm-hmm. for vulnerable people as their victims. Um, predators usually know exactly how to pick their victims. You right. know, like, they pick. They have, they have a reason for yes. most of the people they do Correct. the way they do. Correct. So, but no one had any reason to suspect there was anything going on in this home until their daughter, Heather... Mm-hmm. Um, started telling the other kids at school about it. So she starts confiding in her friends and telling them okay. a little bit about her life. Um, and then suddenly, Heather went missing, just like Charmaine. No. But with Charmaine, they were able to say that she went to live with her biological mom. I was like, oh, some of the excuse to get. And even though we know Rena was mm-hmm. deceased, like, they had an excuse. Like, everybody else didn't know she was deceased. Mm-hmm. Um but obviously with Heather, like these are both her biological parents. Like there's yeah. not another third party that could have taken her. So what made it even worse is that Fred would often joke to the other children, like it was like the family joke, that uh, they better behave and they better keep their mouth shut or they would end up under the patio like Heather. So oh, this was used as a threat. Oh my God. Uh-huh. Okay. So she used as a threat against the other children. So, <sighs> eventually, Anne Marie ended up telling the whole story to the police after she ran away from home at the age of 15. So, when her story comes out, they question Fred Rose about Heather's whereabouts. Mm-hmm. And everything comes crashing down when police decided to search the patio area for Heather's remains. So, End of a nightmare, finally, you guys. I'm so sorry. Uh, We're getting there. Wow. So when police went searching, they found Heather, as they expected, under the patio. But they also found several other bodies. And that's when they realized they were looking at a pair of serial murderers. So at first, the police immediately thought that Fred acted alone. They were like, well, clearly it's... Oh, it's the man. Uh Uh-huh. 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 
But the children and all the surviving witnesses, you know, mm-hmm. implicated Rose as being the primary aggressor. And she, she was actually a very willing participant. And uh, a lot of the times, like, the catalyst on the abuse. Own. Yeah. Yeah. She was absolutely involved. Um, and so they were arrested in 1994. And mm-hmm. after this, the four youngest uh, West children were given new identities to protect them from, you know, the mm-hmm. publicity of all of this. Uh, and each child went into foster care. Okay. So when it came down to the charges against them, Fred claimed that Rose was not involved. He protected her. He defended her. Mm-hmm. Again, the surviving victims and children all said otherwise. Like, they were all contradicting Fred's account of what had happened. Uh, and the couple was being charged with nine counts of murder. And at this point, Rose had pretty much turned on Fred. She wanted nothing to do uh-huh. with him, and he was still protecting her. Still protecting her. She didn't give a fuck about him. Um, he was very distraught over this. Like, he wrote her a bunch of letters, and, like, we know he's illiterate, so I'm sure his letters were, like, kind of a fucking mess. Very different. Difficult to, yeah. Yeah. Um, she never responded to a single one of them. He was very mm-hmm. overwhelmed by the grief of all this and um, honestly, like, having to face what he did and having to, you know, go to court. This is a lot of, that's very stressful. Going to court is stressful even if you got, like, a fucking parking ticket. Imagine if you had nine murder charges. Like, you know, that's probably mm-hmm. a pretty stressful situation. He, he deserves to feel absolutely fucking stressed about the horrible stuff he did, but, you know. Um, just trying to kind of set up his mental state for the next piece I'm going to get into. So, more trigger warnings. He uh, carefully planned to end his life through the act of suicide. So, shortly after picking up his lunch tray one day from the cafeteria, he goes back to his cell. Mm -hmm. um, And he crafted a noose out of his blankets. And uh, he knew that he would have, like, Right at an hour. Like, they would have, like, an hour of mealtime before somebody would check on him. So, he, like, timed it out to get away with it all. Um, He stood on a chair. He um, tied the top of the noose in an air duct that was in the ceiling. Mm -hmm. He kicked the chair out, and he hung himself in his cell. But he did not die right away. did not break his neck. We talked about this in the Salem mm-hmm. Witch Trials episode where a, a short rope like that won't, won't yeah. do that. You don't have enough enough uh, room for that to happen. That, yeah, so he, he died of strangulation. So mm-hmm. pretty horrific way to go. Uh, Rose showed no emotion about Fred's death. Okay, well. <laughs> um, she was left to face the consequences of everything they had done by herself now. So without... Okay. Right? And without Fred, there was no direct evidence linking Rose to any of the killings. Oh! What? Except for the death of Charmaine. Oh. Yep, Fred was in prison at the time of her death. So, Mm. the body of his ex-wife Rena had already been found, too, so they knew that that story wasn't true. Um... And she never went to live with her biological mom. And police used dental records to positively identify the body of Charmaine. Rose was formally charged with her death because they actually could link her alone directly to the crime. 
Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, there was enough reasonable doubt to be like, no, it was right. Fred. Not in this case. Mm-hmm. So um, she was she received a life sentence without the possibility of parole, and she's still in prison. She's sixty seven year old lady today. Fuck her. Um, also. Nobody knew what to do with Fred's body for a while after he died because all the funeral homes in the area refused to hold his services. Whoa. So that's kind of dope that they were like, no, yeah, fuck this guy. Is. Fuck I this guy. Not that. Yeah. Uh, eventually he was wow. cremated. Um, and then on March 29th, 1995, his children held a small service for him. Another mm-hmm. wild twist. This story has so many fucking twists uh, in it. Remember... Fred's younger brother, John, the one who was the best man at their wedding uh, that I talked about earlier. Well, he also um, died by the act of suicide. He hanged himself in his garage in November of 1996. And at the time of his suicide, he'd been awaiting the jury verdict for his own trial Mm -hmm. for the alleged multiple rapes of his niece, Anne Marie, at Cromwell Street, the house that they lived in in the 1970s. So he had apparently also been going over there to the house while Anne-Marie was um, forced of and trafficked. And, um, yeah. So he was also, they tried to hold him accountable for these crimes. Poor Anne-Marie. I feel like she just, like, deserved so much justice. And, like, mm-hmm. these fuckers keep committing suicide. And, like, That's it just is awful. Um also, this is interesting, but Anne-Marie is the only one of Rose's children who continued to visit her over oh. the years, um, which is really interesting because, like, actually, no, because Anne-Marie, that was, it, Rose was her stepmom. Rose was her stepmom. Rena was her biological mother. Rose mm-hmm. was her stepmom. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. Yeah, I just put that together just now. It's like, wait a second. How do you keep up with all the names? There's a lot of names. There's a lot going on. Um, mm-hmm. But now we're going to talk about the aftermath. We're almost done, you guys. Um, after everything that happened here, the house on Cromwell Street, where all these crimes were committed, was condemned. It's now just a sidewalk. The surviving West children have been through a whole lot. Uh, I did mention this earlier, but Anne-Marie wrote a book about the experience. Uh, Several of her siblings have given reports to the media about their story, but it's usually, like, too graphic. Um, It has to be, like, censored. Mm -hmm. And, like, publications don't want to run the story because it's just so fucking awful. Um, Mm. But in 2004, one of the West's youngest children, Barry, he claimed to have witnessed the murder of his sister, Heather. So we're going to find out what happened to Heather. He gave details, so um, this is so sad. So just right. brace yourself how for this old one. Would Heather have been? She was seven. Okay. So according to her brother, and he was younger than her. So think about that. You know, um, that Fred and Rose had restrained her, then sexually and physically abused her, and then mm-hmm. Rose repeatedly stomped on her head until she stopped moving. So, and then they obviously buried her under the patio. So these people are fucking monsters. Um, so awful, so sad what happened to all of these kids. But that story is just a lot. Um, all the West children had major issues adjusting, as mm-hmm. you can imagine, because they went into foster care after this. 
Uh, Stephen West attempted suicide in 2002, tried to hang himself. And then in 2004, he was... He was, went to jail for nine months for having unlawful sex with a 14-year-old girl on multiple occasions. So it's just like this pattern of this mm-hmm. really horrible example and yeah. all this abuse. Like, it's just so fucking sad to see this cycle. And then Barry, the one who saw Heather um, mm-hmm. get murdered, he took his own life, uh, but kind of... Passively, it was a it was a drug overdose in okay. October of 2020. So during the pandemic, he was 40 years old. Oh, I see. Yeah, that's so recent. He had really battled uh, addiction and psychiatric problems as a result of all the abuse and all the horrific things he witnessed and endured as a child. And Marie attempted suicide by jumping off a, a bridge in the area, and then she was rescued. And she was rescued. She ended up surviving. Mm-hmm. And she says she doesn't feel lucky at all that she lived. Yeah. She was quoted as saying her life was just a nightmare and that the pain never goes away. So the aftermath of the story is just as tragic, if not more so, than what actually happened to these kids. Everything about this story is so tragic. Fred and Rosemary West, absolute total fucking trash. So we are going to chart these two disgusting Horrible fucking bitches. Mm-hmm. So, whew, thank you guys for getting through that with me. That was rough as fuck. That so. really was. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. We're gonna take a break. We're gonna take a break. <laughs> uh, Patreon's gonna keep rolling. They're gonna keep getting the live footage of uh. us on our break. So we'll be back with oh. some intense charts. Ugh. If you are in Northwest Arkansas and looking for affordably priced photography and videography services, then you should definitely reach out to Nice NWA. Yes, you should. With photo sessions starting at $100, now is a great time to update your company's headshots, get graduation photos, new family pictures, and more. Looking for video work instead? Yes, videos start at just $300 and are a great way to boost your marketing engagement online with current customers and potential new customers. It's also a great way to create highlight reels of your next event or just to tell your story in an exciting and creative way. NICE is not just locally owned and operated, but is also a certified minority and veteran-owned business that started right here in Northwest Arkansas in 2017. So, go check them out on Facebook or on Instagram at NICENWA or by visiting their website at NICENWA.com. We're back for part two, which is the charts of Fred and Rosemary Garbage Trash West. Do you want to talk about this fancy drink that you're drinking? Uh, Patreon already knows about it. but Patreon got the full recipe. This is my lovely um, Sunrise Spritzer. Island Island Sunrise Uh Spritzer, which um, is now the name of the stream. Uh, Perfect. Uh, It was very good. It's very good. Um, It has... uh, You'll have to get on Patreon for the recipe. Okay, I won't tell what it is then. Yeah, don't tell, don't tell. No spoilers. It's a secret. <laughs> it's a scorpionic mystery. <laughs> I have to I have to make it mysterious. Of course. Alright. Why wouldn't you? I just I just want them to know how much extra amazing <laughs> the Patreon is. And um I will come up with more and more mysteries that only the patrons get to know. I love it. Just drop some hot facts. That will become one of my missions. Let's get into the charts. Let's do it. First, uh, Fred West. And I, I do have a little bit more notes on his chart because he has a time. Oh, um, okay, great. He was born 
September 29th, 1941 at 8.30 a.m. Uh, in Ledbury, UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and the UK, England locations are so confusing to me. Yeah. Because um, it gives like four different names for where these people were. Uh. And I, I figured it out, but it was it was a minute. It took a minute. Okay. Um, Gosh. <laughs> like... I mean, I didn't even try, but now I'm seeing it right on there, and I heard the, like, I think that's, like, McMarkle. I heard that a lot. So, the I figured out that the Muck, Much Markle, what, however you want to, however that's supposed to be said, is the village. Mm-hmm. And then, I don't know what Herefordshire is. Um, I know what England town? is. And then all of this is also in Ledbury, which is a place in the UK. I don't know what everything exactly means, but mm-hmm. I, I at least know that the the much more cold place is like a village in Ledbury, UK, England. I just straight up was like they're from England. <laughs> <laughs> It's too hard. Um, well, we need we need a little, a little you're, more specific. I rely on you for the chart. Uh, so I made sure that I had that correct, and then um, I don't know if you had a death time or like a roughly death mm, rough death time. No. I didn't pull the death chart, but I could. It was at, it was after a meal, so it would have been. Okay. I think it was lunch. Let me look because at okay. lunch time we could look at noon even for a death chart if we. Uh huh. Let me Just find looking at like one or two p.m. or something. Yeah, um, I feel like it'd be a pretty uh, rigorous schedule in uh, a prison of when you had lunch. So I feel like maybe right at noon. I don't yeah. know, I'm being presumptuous. That's what I would guess. But let me see if I can Or maybe anything. earlier rather than later. Da, 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 um, went back to a cell. Lunch tray, his lunch tray. We got noon. Okay. Lunch. All right, I'll pull that when we get, uh, if we have time. Okay. Because um, we do have both nano charts and a sensory chart. Yeah. So, and it was a heavy story today, so that's, normally we've got a <laughs> we, lot of charts. We've had a, some very long episodes lately, so maybe we can, I don't know, uh, be not two and a half hours long. <laughs> I mean, most of the podcasts I listen to are exactly two and a half hours I've noticed long, they so. just get longer and longer, and I'm like here for it. So, not that it's all bad, but. I don't feel like anybody's complaining and saying, no, this is too much charge. I just make up rules for myself in my head that aren't real. Um, that's Saturn moon stuff. Welcome. I love it. Okay. So he was born, um, when I said he was, and (laughs) (laughs) it puts his son in Libra, his ascendant in Libra and his moon in Capricorn. Um, I know. What a combo. Like I was not expecting you to say that. (laughs) Okay. Which, Which also makes... Uh, the person that I got those that other information from, it makes it even more interesting. Oh, when we get to that. okay. I'm excited. Right, I'm so, so excited. Okay. We got a surprise. <laughs> we have surprises always. And mysteries from, from me. Okay, so first off, the sun in Libra in the twelfth house and uh, it can be it can make it can cause a lot of issues with your son being in the twelfth house and the sun being in Libra because as, as lovely as Libras are, I love Libras. It can also yes. have, give them this issue with not knowing exactly what their identity is unless they're kind of bouncing off other people or kind of seeing themselves mm-hmm. reflected in other people. Um, this can also kind of show with 
how people joke how they can't make a decision, they're indecisive. It can, it can, it's kind of stemming from this core issue where your identity placement is in the sign that is your shadow or is the in between, the balancing. The, the it's yeah. it's this it's this place of um, not taking a strong position, uh, but that's where your identity is. So it can be hard to know really strongly what your identity consists of or okay. like what what feels good to you like what can, what your personality traits really are um it can be a lot harder to find yourself with the libra placement it can also be a lot harder to find yourself in the with your son in the 12th house it can make it where you feel like kind of isolated trapped by being yourself uh, you can feel depressed because of who you are you can feel like you're not Worthy. I was trying to think of that word, and when I was writing these notes, finally it came to me. Yay! Um, it can feel like you're just unworthy a lot, and um, the twelfth house, like you're less than. These people can have a lot of self-esteem issues. I remember looking into this placement a lot uh, because my son has the sun in the twelfth house. Really? Uh, and okay. I was like, oh, I need to nurture that baby. Oh. Um, so he's just. And he's so precious. Oh, uh, he is so precious. But you can kind of see that come through. Yeah. Um, anyway. So he, it can make them very sensitive, especially with um, situations where they are isolated or feel like they're less than, and he definitely grew up in that kind of environment. Um, also where he was just isolated and trapped. <laughs> um, and there is a square to Ceres from this placement. And with Ceres, you see how people find their foundation for love, how they figure out um, how to care for others and how to care for themselves. And so this also represents a place for um, self-love. And with a square to your sun, it really makes it hard to love or care about yourself. It also, with the sun representative of the father, can show a lot of issues with the father being caring. Too. Oh, okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and the father probably had a similar issue within himself too, you know, but it's still, it's, it's so awful. Um, so he has a very difficult, challenging son placement in my opinion. Um, the only redeeming thing I see here really is this trying down to his Saturn and Uranus placement, um, which I will get to more in a minute, but it is also not a great, um, not a great situation either. So. Okay. <laughs> um, His only redeeming thing is not that great. It's is not that great. Okay. Awesome. Um, with the sun, in, Yeah. With the sun <laughs> placement. Um, with, with the sun and the ascendant in Libra, we do see um, that kind of artistic interest where you mentioned early in life uh -huh. he was into art and woodwork. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's a very, like, and, visual, like, kind of, like, Libra type of... And his, yeah. and his moon was an earth sign. So, the Libra oh, aesthetics, yeah. artistic, creative kind of spirit with wanting to make things look nice and be pleasing and actually physically working with, like, wood and with the earth things. materials yeah. and things like that. So, uh, I think that made, it made sense to me why he was kind of drawn to that, that type of that's, art. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Okay. Um, he has some other placements in Libra as well. He has Vesta and Juno here. So he's very committed to this Libra essence of life, um, even though it's very difficult energy for him. 
And he's very devoted to it. Like, his soul feels bound to it. Like, he's very... He's all in. He's okay. all in with this okay, yeah. part of himself. Like, he's... It's everything. It feels. It seems like it's just about everything. Um, I think I'll, I'll go ahead and talk about his ascendant since we're still out in this Libra area. Um, the Libra ascendant can make people appear more pleasant, more like beautiful, uh, stylish. Uh, they can come off as very like good mediators. Like they they tend to want to avoid conflict. Um, they can easily mask their personality in public just to be appeasing uh -huh. to others. That makes sense. Uh -huh. I love it. They may see others as too brash or unbalanced, like too too uh, out there crazy. Um, like you should be you should be com your com composing yeah. yourself uh, to be pleasant to the public. It's kind of that thing you should put your mask on your beautiful mask on for everybody mm -hmm. uh, their sole purpose has to do with learning about balancing equality in partnerships it has to do with um understanding the spiritual path of a relationship of having relationships uh not just romantic ones but also just any type right. of uh, strong connection to another person um, it, it, it's figuring out what that means, but not letting it define who you are. So it's, um, interesting for him. <laughs> he has a, another interesting, uh, seventh house situation, which I'll get to in a moment. Um, which relates to this relationship issue for him. Uh, also, with your ascendant is in Libra. I know I mentioned this, I think, maybe in the first season or something. I don't know. Um, your ascendant is... All, it puts all your houses, like, f kind of flipped. Um, okay. Because Aries rules the first house, um, generally speaking. Not for everyone's individual chart. But generally speaking, Aries rules the first house, Taurus rules the second house. It, you know, the and energy on. of the house is like mm -hmm. takes on that like quality of the sign. I feel like that's kind of right. So when the first house is in Libra, that is opposite of oh, Aries. Oh, I see. What you're so okay. all of the areas of life that are represented by the houses are being influenced by the opposite energy signs. That's hard. So it's kind of like your house of identity is ruled by the house of the antithesis of identity. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. Your house of, um, oh, let's see, I'm going to give another example. Like the home would be represented by the energy of going out in the world and, and making something of yourself and vice versa. So it's just conflicting. It's everything yeah. is opposing and mm -hmm. like, uh, I have a friend who has this this place this kind of thing going on with no interceptions, so there's no houses that are skipped. So it's literally or no signs that are skipped. Uh, so it's literally like every house cusp she has is influence is ruled and influenced by um, the opposite energy of that house. Wow. So it's very like she's like everything feels so. Um, like I'm in two minds about everything. It's very push pull. Like she she explained it really well. I wish I could. Yeah, no, that's sounds um, extremely challenging. Right. Yeah. So it can be very difficult. He does have an interception though. So he is um, he has no houses ruled by Aquarius. No houses ruled by Leo. 
Um, so his third house cusp, or sorry, his fourth house cusp is in Capricorn, and then his fifth house is in Pisces. And then on the other side of his chart, his 10th house cusp is in Cancer, and then his 11th is in Virgo. Um, so when you are, when you don't have, um, the houses cusping in those signs, it can make it where you find yourself constantly looking for that energy in your life. Like it's not mm -hmm. obvious to you. So you're, you're trying to find it throughout your life. So yeah. you end up kind of emphasizing those energies more like overcompensating. Um, and this is Aquarius and Leo for him. So this has all these things to do with like individuality, freedom, expression, drama. Um, and for him, which makes this even more dramatic is his Chiron and Pluto being in Leo. Uh, and it's his 10th house. So it's going okay. it, to, it's going to be to do with what he becomes known for, of course. Um, okay. so that trauma and intensity, uh, get even more emphasized by the interception is my point. Wow. Okay. Okay. So moving on, I'm going to talk about his moon placement. Um, he has moon and Capricorn conjunct folis. So right away before you were talking, I remember thinking, oh, his sun sign is doing this. And you talked about his dad. And then I remember thinking, oh, his moon is very afflicted. And then you start talking about his mom. Yeah. <laughs> and then I noticed it was conjunct bolus and you go, and it's worse. And it was like, yeah. all right. Charlie just follows along with the story as it usual. Like it, it's crazy. So his, um, and you told me what happened and, oh, I, I just, I just started seeing all of these light up. So his moon is in Capricorn, which is, um, a sign of having like a more strict maternal figure. Um, your mother might be more strict and more focused on goals and making something um, happen uh, more rigid, uh, like type of thing. Um, he does have his moon in the third house, which we know is your like smaller social groups, mm -hmm. uh, your close communities in life. Um, and for him growing up, this was really just his mom and sisters, which we see with the moon placement being there, uh, and Tholus making everything happening in this, in this part of his chart more dramatic. So it's not like, oh, it's kind of, it's kind of happening like this. No, it's, it's extra bad, terrible, mm -hmm. uh, extremely happening like this. Yeah. Um, so they were his only immediate social life. His mom and sisters um, represented in that moon third house placement. Um, these are afflicted. And the third house can also show your early school. Um, and so we see how this can represent his illiteracy. Um, uh. We see how this can affect his early school difficulties in all areas. Because also socially, he struggled, correct? Right. Um, he struggled in all the areas, really. It's very, uh, a very difficult third house. Um, the there is a square to Mars in Aries, which is retrograde, in the seventh house, which is where we see a lot of these really, um, 
awful conflicts with his mom and the idea of passion and sexuality and aggression. Um, and how when Mars is retrograde, it can, it can make it difficult to stand up for yourself, difficult to rise up to challenges and assert yourself. Um, it brings this delay in that aggressive energy within yourself. It makes it harder for you to um, understand your own anger and will to fight and passion and sexuality. Um, wow. Okay. And it could be in a really hurtful way, uh, like it was here, especially with the square to the moon and square to Pholus and um, all of these horrible aspects on all these horrible aspects on this placement make it really horrific. Um, it can also show. Um, Oh, it is it's like, it must be storming outside. real loud. I don't know if you guys can hear it. It's crazy. It was perfectly fine, uh, like, not that long ago. I didn't even know we had a chance of rain today. So, crazy. It's really storming out there. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Anyway, when the Mars retrograde, uh, even though this, having it retrograde makes it kind of develop slower in life, when it does later develop, it, it may not be uh, healthily developed, especially in his case with his chart. Um, and it can, it can overcompensate and be overly aggressive later on, which we also see for him. Um, there is a sextile from this Mars placement to Ju his Jupiter. So he likely feels like this is an opportunity of like to grow for him. Like he feels good and in tune with the universe more, a little more when he acts on this Mars placement. So I think that, um, it's the, it's to him, it feels like the outlet, um, that's appropriate, which is horrible. Um, he, uh, let's see, he has a square over to his Vesta from that moon placement as well, which, um, oh, I forgot to say, I think I did for a second, but I wanted to emphasize that that Mars that Mars retrograde in Aries is very aggressive and it is in the seventh house, which is the house of like relationships and partnerships and all that. So it's going to affect all of his relationships throughout the rest of his life. Okay. Um, and it's going to, yeah. <laughs> yes. He had lots of uh, difficult relationships mm -hmm. with other people, like really all of them, whether it was his children or his. Uh, people he dated mm -hmm. or his family or like you know his parents like he just yeah yeah that, that seems seems on brand but then he was also said to be pretty charming like people also said that mm -hmm. he had like a all charm. that libra yeah lots of libra charm for sure <laughs> so that's so for sure um he also had the moon square vesta which it brings a lot of inner turmoil with, with that Vesta being right in his first house and in Libra, the sign of his sun sign, um, where he feels like, you know, he was always, he probably feels like he's never going to be good enough again. You know, he probably feels like his inner self doesn't like how he shows up in the world. Uh, it, it's, it's kind of, it's an, it's hard when you've got these harsh, moon ascendant moon sun squares because it's like you can't it's really hard to please both 
sides of that square and to feel good about something um they're just always in such conflict it's it's a lot of conflict with just being yourself and having your feelings um which makes sense for the situation he was in as well uh, a lot of this is also anything with the moon is uh, tied to the mother so the mother also had these kind of issues uh mm -hmm. with her her passion aggression stuff and what she was devoted to and taking things too far and all of that um, definitely took things too far oh yes, yes. understatement <laughs> <laughs> understatement for sure and it was all affecting his identity with it hitting his first house i just uh, um let's see there was a Generally speaking, with the moon, square Mars, um, it can bring like a lower ambition and drive and like a suffering passion, lack of physical stamina, manic feelings, but some of that like lack of ambition and lack of stamina is taken away with the fact that these planets are in um, such driven signs. I think that those energies are really kind of negating um, that part of this type of aspect um because we see him really maybe not um as outward yeah uh, but we like he doesn't do it he's not just walking around town like slashing you know but he he uh he kind of does that like i don't know what the what, what the word is i'm looking for um but he kind of sneaks around kind of makes it uh It's, it's very Mars retrograde feeling to me. It's like I'm doing something, but I'm kind of doing it he's under the... He's more like a wolf the, in sheep's clothing. Yeah. Like where he's coming off as this like charmer, mm -hmm. kind of like this, yes. you know, bumbly kind of... Uh, like he just had like a gross look to him. Like nobody really mm -hmm. saw him for what he was. Like he mm -hmm. was able to, you know... Like, All of like this rage is under the surface. It's, he had like it's a very prowling type of Prowling energy. is a good It wasn't like, a, mm -hmm. like an overtly... Yes. Um, aggressive. Like, people wouldn't have mm -hmm. probably described him as aggressive. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. Exactly. Where people like described normally, him as charming instead of aggressive. Normally a Mars and Aries person, unless, you know, some other aspects are hitting, like, would be a more aggressive type. Yeah. Like, out. Yeah. Um, like, people would describe them probably as a more aggressive type, or he might not have. I am, like, have... so excited to see Rose's chart now. We've like, <laughs> seen Fred's. Um, oh, yeah. Just that she was, like, the main mm -hmm. aggressor between the two of them. Um, I'm like, when do I want to mention this one thing? What is this calling um, to you? Mm -hmm. There's some more I want to say right here. Um, generally, I want to I wanna mention kind of, like, I haven't really generally spoken about Moon and Capricorn yet for him, so... Um, I always like to say that when your mood is in Capricorn, it kind of shows up as like, some people say they're emotionless or that they're heartless or whatever, but it's really just that their emotions are kind of like buried treasure. They're just so hard to get to and hard to find. It's, it's, uh, a very antithetical place to have your moon because your moon belongs in cancer, right? Moon, um, moon is, moon rules cancer. Having it in Capricorn is the dead opposite of that energy. Um, it's, it's like putting your feelings, having all of your feelings in a corporate space. It doesn't, it doesn't work. Yeah, it, it, Capricorn. It's there, but it's like, 
What? Right? <laughs> the CEO in charge um, of the emotions bucket. Like, uh-huh. it's kind of like... <laughs> yes, exactly. It's very difficult. It's very... Um, it's generally a pretty difficult moon placement, I feel like, to have. Um, there's a lot of rigidity and structure put on your emotions just with the way you feel things. Where I have a, I have Saturn over my moon, but, like, it's this is... Different. Mm, it's yeah, different. it's different. It, it makes you very practical, very disciplined, um, sometimes uncaring, sometimes um, it can come off very like paternal energy. Um, they seek security through structure, kind of like in the corporate world where you mm-hmm. would. Um, doing, you're, it's a lot of this feeling like you always feel like you're, you need to be doing what you're supposed to do. Um, there's some, a lot of ambition in this placement. You work for your rewards. Uh, so you could be very emotionally driven by money. Um, okay, or yeah. rewards, physical, earning something. Um, even if it's just uh, earning like a good reputation can come through this. Mm-hmm. Like notoriety. Like I'm known for being the best lawyer in the state. You know, something, uh-huh. something like that. Um and you have a big fancy house and uh anyways um and that's a little bit on that there is a grand shrine including his moon which i need to speak on for a moment uh there is a trine from his moon to that saturn uranus placement to his north node and neptune placement um he has saturn and uranus retrograde both of them retrograde uh conjunct lilith in taurus in the eighth house we already know the eighth house has a lot to do with those undertones in life the transition periods of life death other people's money um sex things that are taboo occult things that are unseen um kind of things that are under the surface like we were talking about a little bit too uh, so this makes his life structure very kind of, um, it can, it can come off as deceptive or kind of like, uh, you're not outwardly showing a lot of things like we were okay, saying. Yeah. Um, it can also, it also brings this chaotic energy to that same kind of undertone place for him, uh, because Uranus is, um, can be very chaotic, is very, it's very interesting having Uranus and Saturn conjunct because Uranus is, can be so sporadic and mm-hmm. uh, spontaneous um, and breaking the mold, radical, but then Saturn is so structured and orderly um, and wanting to really build a foundation for for things. So his foundation for life is so... Um, Chaotic. I hate to use the same word. And sporadic, and uh, it's it's structure met met with um, like the tower card. It's it's like you're, oh God, you're just constantly example. like breaking, and uh, you know, like a meteor hits your house, and then a tornado hits your house, and then you know your house burns down, and then, like it's, it's like just big constantly events continuously kind of hitting. Uh huh. And you might yeah. he he probably had a lot of like different big upheavals and changes with his foundation for life, which I think we've seen in another episode. Now, like they say that, 
Um, and it sounds like it because he had a lot of different phases where he was doing this and then he was doing this and he lived with this person and that person, whatever. As soon as like one thing ended, he always had to like mm-hmm. rebuild it. Like, okay, uh-huh. well, okay, that didn't work. So let mm-hmm. me like redo this other thing. Okay, uh-huh. wait, now we've got these other kids over here. Now we've got these kids and I've got this kid. And, and a lot of it's... It's crazy. And a lot of it's stemming from deaths happening yeah. or tragic tragic transitions and stuff and that's all very deaths and births because there's a lot of births that Mm -hmm. he wasn't actually the father of all these children but Uh he was you know raised them like it's very um very eighth house four children in total that he was raising um that were not his biologically yeah so that's and that would come through more i think because that was yeah it would come through in another place on his chart, too. Yeah. Which I'm probably not going to get into with this It's crazy. Today. Yeah. I mean, we got a lot um, to cover. I know we got a lot of charts mm. and a lot. We could talk forever. <laughs> like, there were so many things that I could have talked for 30 minutes about. Oh, I know. I was like, let's just. Same. Let's just not. It's just so much. Like, the uh-huh. story. I'm glad I didn't take notes because I would have just done it for hours earlier. Yeah. So, that's probably a good thing that you didn't end up going down the rabbit hole. No. Too not too far. far. So Saturn conjunct Uranus is a major aspect that only happens every 45 years. Um, so it is a um, that's special, pretty unique. And then he also had it conjunct Lilith, which makes this even more rare. Um, but it's it's pragmatic, but also highly chaotic. Um, <laughs> that's interesting. It's a very like energized state, but in like a very controlled way, which. And then the control just kind of breaks down and oh. uh, like suddenly and things and we come up with a new pattern and then it breaks down and it's, it's this ugh, awful stru- like pattern to life, which I feel is... That seems really challenging. However, it shows up for people like that uh-huh. sounds like a challenging uh, thing right. to keep having this like breakdown and rebuild. Mm-hmm. Like, But he has Lilith here. So okay. this is also tied in with his sense of empowerment and sexuality. Um, also with when he would feel disempowered. So all of these upheavals and things like that are going to be directly linked to him empowering himself or him being like disempowered and like having to deal with that. So it's all going to be triggered around the same time, um, when transits are coming through. So it's very interesting. Um, it's this energy of like being unsettled, you know, not able to like settle down for real. Um, cause things just okay. keep... You know, can never relax because it's probably always, also never relax because it's yeah. always like you're you get used to being in like on high alert, honestly. Like, oh, I it like does, it feels like high this, alert. like mm-hmm. heightened state because they're just waiting for the next thing to fucking yes. shoot a drop or whatever. Yeah, know? absolutely. And it's, it's that's very chaotic. Chaos is a good word mm-hmm. to use for that type of uh energy mm-hmm. like and unpredictable. Uranus is always a little unpredictable. Yeah, it can never be completely um red in any kind of chart um it could also bring like innovation ideas so like experimental things within your life structure um pushing boundaries for better or worse (laughs) um saturn retrograde can bring strong themes of like guilt and self-doubt a lot of fear and issues with responsibility or keeping your life in order um and then Uranus retrograde can bring those same kind of issues with like uh, like trusting innovations and new new things coming around, um, 
or being issues with being different, wanting to hide more so, um, things like that. Uh, it's, um, it's more delays in his chart, like we mentioned with the Mars retrograde. Okay. So obviously, I I could definitely see with his upbringing how all these retrogrades like took longer to come through. Yeah. Um. I also wanted to mention his Chiron placement. Oh no, I was I was I was on something already. Sorry, sorry. I was on this grand trine he has. So his moon <laughs> trine, the Saturn-Uranus situation, trine Neptune in Virgo with his north node. It, it makes it where, like, his other option, like, you know how I was just saying how he has all these upheavals and changes and it's really dark transition, eighth house energy that happens. It, it's actually kind of like serving him emotionally. And it's serving his life path. Or so he feels like he's doing the right thing when all these. So, it like, it doesn't seem like he's all that sad when he's, like, got to get a new wifey. And yeah, new... he seems to He's be... just like, all right, here we go. We got to keep going. Like, that's very grand trying energy. We're just going to keep on going up. Yeah. We're just going <laughs> to. He recovers well mm -hmm. from these, like, big breakdowns in his mm -hmm. life. He just, like, finds a new solution. Like, yep. oh, well, I'll just do this now. Uh-huh. It's interesting because, yeah, I feel mm -hmm. like a lot of people, if they were, if that happens once in their life, it can really, some people just fucking crumble. Right. You know, like one huge That's change. not what he did. Yeah, not what he, he did. He snooped on through it. Uh-uh. No, no. And he's got <laughs> Neptune on the North Node, too, so it makes it even more dreamy feeling. Like, he's okay. really working towards this amazing, amazing whatever. Wasn't <laughs> um, amazing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Maybe thought it was amazing. It's <laughs> terrible. So to literally everyone else. Everyone else. Everyone. Um, his Chiron and Leo is conjunct Pluto square his Venus. So uh, we do see issues with his heart space um, and his trauma in life. Um, so this really affected him emotionally. Even with just that square to Venus. But don't worry, there's more. Mm -hmm. um, Always. Chiron and Leo makes you feel like you're not allowed to shine. You're not able to take center stage or express yourself creatively. You're, um, you know, you're blocked from being acknowledged or awarded for who you are. Uh, you may end up lacking self-confidence like we are he already has issues with this on his chart um it's as if what you say and do or what you create does it just doesn't matter like nothing matters then no one cares um no one wants to watch you perform in this life kind of thing with this placement um you can if you have this placement on your chart you can seek play or drama therapy oh, that's um, cool you can look into it. You might want to look out for health issues with the diaphragm, gallbladder, solar plexus. Okay. Um, let's see. This is in the 10th house for him. So this brings up things with the career, reputation, discipline. Um, this ultimately becomes what he's known for all of his, his trauma and how he tries to overcome it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, very much what he becomes known for is reputation. That's kind of his career in a way, you know, his his daily discipline. Oh God. 
no, no. Uh, having it conjunct Pluto, and I took a quote. Where did I take this from? I think it was Astrology King. Um, I think. Uh, your deepest wound becomes even deeper. Pluto conjunct Chiron in the natal chart suggests that you must go to the bottom of the problem and undergo thorough transformation if you want to, want to become whole again. Pluto Chiron aspects in the natal chart can indicate trauma related to power, abuse, sex, betrayal, losses, grief, denial of autonomy. Um, it shows issues with how you relate to the world, whether you can trust it or not. People with this placement can feel that they are restricted from expressing themselves, locked up in a prison of pain. Oh. Not the only placement he has mentioning these themes. Uh, Pluto conjunct Chiron can indicate pain related to abuse, lost control, betrayal. Um, situations when someone's life was at stake uh, can also be suggested by this conjunction. Wow. That was very well put. Yeah, that's a and that's very accurate mm -hmm. for him specifically. So, mm -hmm. uh, sorry, I feel like we can move forward uh, on to to Rose. Rose. I'm ready to hear about her. Like she's wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's do this. Let's Rose was born on November 29th. Her birthday's coming up. Mm. 1953. We don't have a time in Northam, United Kingdom. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Sure. Sounds right to me, but I know nothing. So <laughs> I'm the worst source. I, I didn't even mention locations because, you know, <laughs> I would have butchered them. Nobody, nobody wants that Well, from me. I pulled her noon chart. We have her son in Sagittarius. Her moon in Virgo, her north node in Capricorn. Uh, let's see. The sun in Sagittarius, we all, we all kind of know that, that a kind of adventurous type spirit in someone. Mm -hmm. They, they uh, want to kind of ride life um, like a wildfire. Just kind of like as, as the passion hits them, they want to like go with that. And uh, that's a really fun way to live, but you know, um, they could get carried away. There's, there's ups and downs, ups, upsides and downsides to every sign in the Zodiac. Um, she does have a square to her palace from her sun placement, which makes me feel like she had difficulty, um, with her, with being wise. She wasn't, she had probably a very difficult time um, making sound decisions. Yeah. 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 Um, mm -hmm. And her father also would have had this issue since this is a solar situation. <laughs> solar situation. Solar situation. <laughs> like it. I like it. I like that too, actually. <laughs> um, let's see. She has some other aspects, but we're going to move on to her moon sign because... Okay, so I feel like this is where we, this mixed with her sun placement, well, really all her placements, but um, I this think... This is a tough combo, so a good friend of ours and friend of the podcast has this exact really? placement. Yeah, <laughs> she has the Sagittarius sun with Virgo moon, and she shares with me all the time about how that feels mm. and how, because I have a Virgo rising, mm -hmm. and I feel like 
like I, I understand the Virgo energy, but mm-hmm. in the moon, like uh, with her sun sign, like it's very. It this is another sun moon square yes. type issue. Yes. Um, so. So you could have on her chart the degree could be a square or it could not be because we don't have a time. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, yeah, sun things generally speaking in Sagittarius and in Virgo would be in conflict to each other yes. by a square. Yes, yes. Uh, so it's it's another war of that issue. It's very difficult. I have this with Aquarius and Scorpio on my chart. Yeah. Um, so the moon in Virgo, um, right, I'll, I'll give a general thing first. Um, it's a more, it's a, typically like a lighter energy Virgo. It's like a lighter earth energy, um, but very detailed, fastidious, hardworking, more into like the routines of life, the daily uh, chores, the daily living. Um, it's practical, but it's intuitive. It kind of taps into very, that earthly intuition very easily. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be overly critical. It always wants to be improving. Um, <laughs> it seeks security through analysis and patterns. It's, uh, this energy as a moon placement is very comfortable taking care of others uh, as they like to feel like they're needed. Um, the... Uh, one of the things I was thinking about so much when you were talking about all the horrible things she did was how this Sagittarius being would get so excited about all of these sexual encounters that she was obviously interested in and passionate about doing. Um, and then taking this Virgo internal approach to it, so she would get carried away and then bring all of this like harsh critical detail to the experience. Yes, absolutely. Um, also that kind of sensual element to it too, but like if you remember on our witch trials episode, the axis of Pisces and Virgo can bring a lot of this um how did we phrase it? Like guilt for being human. Um and it's like earthly shame. Yeah. Um where they would like beat themselves up. Like, be overly critical of themselves or overly critical of each other for just existing as a person, pretty much. Yeah. Um, so being... When this gets... Um, yeah, this could be... This could very easily turn into, like, a very sadistic um, situation. Like, personality trait with negative aspects on it. And she does have ne- negative aspects on this. Yeah. Um... Her Ceres placement is also in Virgo next to this moon placement and shares all of the negative aspects that her moon does. Oh, great. Um, so we see this kind of more of this nurturing energy twisted in the same way. Um, and a, and ex- more so. Uh, even more so twisted. Uh, <clears throat> she has a square to Jupiter, and which is also retrograde. Um, which can bring this challenge in the faith of the universe caring for her, um, where it feels like Fred did not have this issue because he, <laughs> he felt like things were going to kind of yeah work out for him. He was like not worried uh-huh. about the chaos. He mm-hmm. wasn't worried about like how he was going to start over. He was mm-hmm. like, oh, I'll just figure it out. Like he yep. had more of a, which feels very Libra. He's like, no, it'll be all right. <laughs> like it'll be. And his Jupiter uh, was in Gemini. 
Um, oh, okay, yeah. And he, he had a different situation with his Jupiter, but um, a nice trine to his ascendant, which shows, like, your approach to life. So mm-hmm. he, he was he was kind of vibing. Really adaptable to it. Like, he was kind of... Mm-hmm. Adaptable, vibing. Like, Gemini's like, all right. <laughs> and Libra's Air. like, okay. Uh-huh. Like, these are... <laughs> Where she had a lot more stress on this placement for her, mm-hmm. um, where I feel like this also showed up with her, like, when he got uh, arrested, right? Like, she was yeah. like, oh, well, I, I didn't, you know, like, all of a sudden, her tune has changed with who she's loyal to and all of that. Um, because she didn't, she doesn't have that kind of faith in anything. Well, that makes a lot <laughs> her, of sense. She doesn't have that emotional faith in anything. Wow. Um. And uh, that, it'll really come through with, like, this kind of pessimistic nature, probably to how she sounds when she's speaking and things like that, too. But um, And there's a quincunx from Jupiter to her Venus, uh, which also can bring, like, this... Her heart isn't able to have faith in anything, really, either. It's Or, or it'll, it'll either be too much faith or, like, not really at all. Um, oh. the way it's, like, blocked it's like or bound. Um, yeah. Okay. She, um... All the faith or no faith at all. <laughs> like, with with her with her heart space in general, like, she probably, uh, when they were together, it sounds like she had faith in, in the relationship, but then, um, once he got in trouble, would be like, peace out, like, not, no, 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 I wasn't mm-hmm. doing any of that. Uh, You're on your own, buddy. On your own. Goodbye. Goodbye. I'm good. Um, there is an issue with the alignment of her feelings and her prospects for the future, faith in the universe, like I said, or uh, it can also just feel, make her always feel like she's experiencing this lower sense of well-being. Like, she's never going to feel like she's really doing good. Oh my god, she totally said, like, she mm. feels unsatisfied. Oh and yeah, she she's said, never satisfied. She said it in a sexual way, but I think it, like, comes mm-hmm. into play literally too like nothing ever satisfied her it was never enough mm-hmm. like she was never able to achieve Absolutely. this completeness in any sense and if we so, had houses maybe it would be more uh descriptive of that yeah. in a sexual way too yeah um but your moon placement has a lot to do with your sexuality in my mm-hmm. opinion um so anyway she also had a trying to chiron and a trying to her north node um from her moon so that would have been like her outlet kind of if when she was which i say that like the other aspects the other interactions with her moon were so stressful it's kind of like this is the good one so people will kind of lean on that um so her better aspects were to lean into like her trauma and healing process and that rigidity of her capricorn that capricorn north node um and try to just like go as far as she can with with what she Mm -hmm. wants to do Okay. Um, and she also has Pholus up in this area, but it isn't, it's moved over, uh, into like the first degree or two of Aquarius, but it's right on that same cusp with her North Node and Chiron. Um, just to keep that in mind when we get to the, the Sinistry chart here in a minute. Um, cause I have more to say when we get to that. Yay. She has Mars in Libra. Mars and Libra uh, can lose sight of what, like, objective actually is. <laughs> okay. Uh, as Libra is the opposite of the ego, first house Aries, like I've said, um, in a way. Um, it's kind of hard to phrase these things, like, quickly but and concisely. 
Um, but it can make it where you lose, um, like, the, a sense of directness with that Mars placement. Um, you focus more on, like, balance and being non-combative and benevolent and things like that. Like, you're kind of, like, lost in this middle ground with yeah. what your actions are going to be. And Mars wants to know what it's doing. Mm -hmm. And so when you're not quite sure, it kind of just does a lot of things. Um, or, but not like very, necessarily very thoroughly. Um, you're like half-assing 19 things. Kind of. <laughs> yeah, kind of. That's what immediately came to mind. Uh, like, I am doing a lot of things and I'm not good at any of them. And I'm not really focused or, on them. Or kind of like, do you, like I'm kind of going to do both things. Or I'm kind of, you know, like mm -hmm. if you're kind of like teetering between a decision like you're kind of gonna do like this weird middle ground nonsense that isn't Mars isn't gonna feel great doing that naturally mm -hmm. um yeah it won't, Mars wants to take action if your decisions are flaky or uncertain Mars gets lost uh, when Mars gets lost especially in the air signs it's it's frustrated um these people can be very easily flustered um Sounds like she was. Sounds yeah. like she got like... She's never satisfied. Very frustrated. She got very stressed out as soon as the dynamic changed and Fred was suddenly no longer in the picture and she was alone with the three kids. That's when like shit mm -hmm. hit the fan. Like she was like flustered, didn't know what to mm -hmm. do and like she was a kid herself and mm -hmm. yeah, so you see that. You see that flustered energy and she reacted to it in a violent way. Absolutely. Like that's how she dealt with it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So. Uh, she also has um, a Libra stellium. She's got um, Mars, Lilith, and Neptune in Libra. Uh, so with Mars and so close to Lilith, we see her also using this as a form of self-empowerment and sexuality. Mm -hmm. um, bringing a lot of more issues. And Neptune is here, which can bring more of these, like, these planets are all kind of stuck in this middle ground, right? So it's kind of like, what is reality? With Neptune here, um, like I can't really gauge reality unless I'm gauging it off of somebody else or off of a like a situation or an example. So you kind of um, have a hard time like having a firm grip on reality here. Um, a lot of fantasizing type of thing. Um, the let's see, what did I actually write before I get carried? Get lost. Um, <laughs> it can bring delusions, losing touch with reality. Um, okay, I think I said what I wrote pretty much. Um, <laughs> love it. I, know. I love that. Uh, Mars and Libra also can show um, being more excited to be involved with things that are like aesthetically pleasing. Uh, I don't know if she was like very driven to like look nice or something but um you know, she she may have thought, might have found that empowering and but it might have been kind of like in a her own way like very like i'm not um, really sure because she wasn't like super attractive but people yeah. definitely thought she was like more attractive than fred where it was like <laughs> looked mismatched like people did really? say that as like she was much more attractive than he was that's interesting. Physically. So that was something that was mentioned. And I uh -huh. mean, I don't think either of them are attractive. Uh, <laughs> you can look, it's on our Instagram story right I now. I haven't looked. I did a post on Facebook mm -hmm. too. So like, um, mm -hmm. like, I put some of their pictures out there of what they mm -hmm. look like as a couple. Mm -hmm. And actually, I'd love to see your reaction to what they look like. All right, we'll have to do that. Okay. Do you want to see now? No, I'll just sure. keep going. I'll just show All right, you. sure. Because I got it like right here. Oh, you do? Because I absolutely like shared it. And it also would make her more driven to have like an uh, 
a, a good looking partner. Mm-mm. No. Mm-mm. They look kind of similar. <laughs> Yeah, they were also, into siblings, right? Wait, what? They were into family, right? Well, yeah, that's true. They kind of look similar to me. But also, can you just look at this it's like nasty. background? This like background, this couch, and also, I don't know if this was fashionable back then. Like, I don't know. I don't Let's know. see. Here we go. I don't know. This is her Patreon, and this is for the YouTube people. Like, oh. this fucking picture is gross. Um, I don't even want to look at them is the problem. Right, they're great. <laughs> um, but, like, just, you know... I'm curious, to, but I don't want to give them any of my, like, eye, like, visual attention. At the same time, it's like, you know, just... They mm. weren't, like, a super attract... Like, they neither of them were very no. attractive, I don't think. So, I don't know. I don't but know they did... They were, it seemed like he was trying to dress up. Yeah. Uh, it looked like she might have cared about her appearance. It's hard to tell based off that one picture. But Yeah, and also, um, um, I don't know how she felt aesthetically about things in her home mm-hmm. or, like, whatever. I know that, like, her room... And we don't know the house that this is in, either, so it would... It's a it creepy depend. house. It's a creepy house. No, like, the astrological house. Oh! I was the literal house. <laughs> we don't know either of those things. No, um, but there was a room that she had in the house that was, like, her own special room. It was called Rose's room, and it mm-hmm. was where... She did all her, like, sex work mm-hmm. and even had a red light outside the door. And if the light was on, like, everybody knew not to bother her. So, I don't know. I don't know if any of that plays into, like, visual aesthetic. Mm-hmm. I don't know how she had decorated, like, she had, like, a fucking, I don't well, know. Well, that's what I was saying. Like, if this if this was sitting in, like, her fourth house, like, it would be, like, within the home that this would kind of show up. If it was her first house, it might be more of, like... How she wanted to look or dress, you know, so, if yeah. it was in her tenth house, it'd be like something she was really, you know what I mean, like yeah, yeah, yeah. That puts the like uh-huh. the spin on that energy. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. so it, it's kind of hard to show exactly where this is showing up for her, which makes it and harder. I don't know based on the story. I don't have any assumptions <laughs> because I just okay. based on I don't know what I know about her. Nothing about her is gonna feel. No. I don't know. She's not. She's, I don't know. So. um... <laughs> She uh, also would uh, probably be more likely to be the one who'd be um, invested in legal matters, um, mediate issues within partnerships, uh, address her shadow self a little more. Um, but this is, again, we don't know the houses are showing up in, so it's kind of hard mm-hmm. to... Um, uh, sexually with Mars and Libra can show as people... Taking on like these endearing people, partner pleasing approaches to sex, uh, which I, I feels like she was kind of raised to do this. Um, right. Maybe wearing this could show up in multiple ways, like in in lesser extreme ways for people listening that might have this placement. Um, it could just be like wanting to wear lingerie for your partner, or wanting to do you know wanting to feel like pretty for them it could just be like literally that simple but it's it's obviously not in this situation um doing things that would make you aesthetically more attractive um but i think for her it is like her her whole being she needs to feel empowered by pleasing the other person um or uh getting them kind of like endeared you know um Let's see. Um, 
her Jupiter retrograde placement. I think I, I mentioned her Jupiter for a second, but I also wanted to mention that it is retrograde on her chart, um, which can can make her Jupiter and her experience of like trusting um, and having faith and things like that take longer to develop. Um, also, it can bring different um, like unusual perspectives, uh, belief systems, morals, like your your outlook on um, the energy of life is just so it could be just very delayed or different or something like that. Um, and having it be in Gemini, you can have kind of like a, a two faced approach to this or like <laughs> um, multifaceted, like adapting. Um, kind of religious or belief system okay um to whatever kind of fits in the moment um yeah and more like more shallow one like it's it's kind of the opposite placement of where jupiter i like sits uh like it rules sagittarius opposite this placement on the chart so moving forward to their sinistry chart it gets very interesting because <laughs> We see so many things lining up. Um, first of all, they have a sun sextile sun. Um, so they're very like supportive of each other's identities in this life. They're characters they kind of took on okay. in this life. Um, very naturally supportive. Uh, they have, they both have Venus and Scorpio conjunct each other. Whoa. They both have Mercury and Scorpio. Um, these placements, Venus and Scorpio, oh, they also were both born on the 29th of a month. Yep, that's pretty cool, actually. Uh-huh, that's so cool. It's so cool of them. It's very, very cool. Uh, it's just, I hate, just like the idea of them being cool for anything. Yeah, I think, um, I, yeah. The but I, I know where you said it. It's, it's just, just so interesting that that's, I know. It's kind of a neat thing to... It's fascinating. Yeah, to, to yes. think about. Because um, that did stick out to me when mm -hmm. I put when I was like doing my research. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's very weird to me. Like, for some reason, it's very, like, forefront of my mind when I was pulling this, too. Um, and they both have the moon conjunct each other's north nodes. Oh, how sweet is that? They also have Jupiter in the same place, but Jupiter moves slow, so you know. Um, it was in retrograde when she was born, so he kind of come back to where his placement was. Okay. Which is interesting. Um. Then, was there anything else? I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about him in a second, but um, they have this uh, I like double checking. Yeah, there's a lot going on on this chart. Like, it's crazy. I, it amazes me that you can, like, decipher what's going on. Here. <laughs> I'm looking at this going, I don't fucking know. Like, it looks Thank crazy. Um, oh, they have, they have Juno, semi-square Juno, uh, which, which makes it where they're, like, striving for this commitment with each other. Okay. Um, and it almost gives this feeling of, like, they can't, feel like they actually obtain it they're just like always kind of striving for it um it does feel like a little bit of like a power struggle between them mm -hmm. but also supportive but like supportive and yeah kind of destined and like 
they this Jupiter situation will make them feel like so um, kind of magnificent with each other mm. um, where Jupiter can be so aggrandizing and uh, give you these feelings of like this is this is what's meant to happen this is what you know like we were fated and all of these kinds of things and also with the moon north node situations will also feel very fated to them they have um ooh, they have mars opposite mars um they almost have chiron oppositions as well but um the mars oppositions will kind of feel like they're they're completing each other with that with their sense of aggression and will power and sexuality um they're gonna they're gonna communicate in a similar way since their mercuries are both in scorpio um they're gonna love and and care for each other in a similar way mm -hmm. with their venuses both in scorpio um generally speaking venus and scorpio is um a pretty like alluring energy uh it it craves those strong deep connections um so it seems like both of them would want to be with somebody who they could really show their whole awful self to yeah that's um, so interesting so they wouldn't i don't think they could have settled for like being you know how some of these killers will have this relationship where the other person doesn't know anything about their crimes right um yeah that's not that that's not them they, they are sharing it. They They're, need someone to have this soul bond with that will understand all of their horrible nature. Um, and do it with them. Yeah, it's like they kind of like fuel each other in yes. that way and like feed mm -hmm. off of each other. So, ugh. Uh-huh. That's, that's what's going to make them feel satisfied in a relationship. Um, and the sexuality is emphasized, obviously. Um there's no energetic tolerance for superficiality or manipulations in these kind of with Venus and Scorpio people. Um, they want the like full like depth truth of the other person, which I feel like they got. They're their true selves together, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. it feels that it's awful. But uh -huh. That was I mean. These people can also kind of like like it would especially with both people having this aspect and Mercury also being here, it could make them feel. Um, kind of excited to have secrets together oh okay mm -hmm. yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah definitely and the fact that they kept it going for so long like they had that intensity about uh -huh. it and like this intense secretive life that just nobody had any idea they were doing this it's just it's crazy it is it's, it's and scorpio also has like all the sex themes and of course this uh -huh. story is and power struggles yeah and manipulation and abuse like all of this can be very scorpionic themes that that intensity and mm -hmm. trying to um keep things hidden and all that can can definitely be uh problems with this um power issues may be more extreme um let's see uh, personal transformations with each other. Um, let's see. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, um, the intensity would have been really appealing to each other that they both had. 
with this placement and with their Mercury's. Um, the Mercury and Scorpio can can make them can make people speak kind of like seductively, but also in like like a like a like also like a brash, direct nature, kind of like how okay. people say Scorpios can be very like biting, cutting, like they get mm -hmm. right to the point, like it's it's like. Um, <laughs> It's like they, kind of like how you said, like, I, when I talked to you the other day, like, about that one thing, and you were like, oh, you just got, like, straight to the, th like, it was so succinct, uh -huh. and, like, like right to the point kind of thing, like, it can be very like that all the time. It can be kind of harsh. Um, I really do love, I have a lot of uh, people <laughs> in my life that have strong Scorpio places. I don't really have any... Other than Pluto, which is, like, generation, like, everybody my yeah. age has that placement. But I, I don't have a lot of strong Scorpio in my chart, but I love Scorpio energy. <laughs> like, most of my closest friends are Venus and Scorpio. Like, I, I or heavy, like, you're obviously Scorpio. Side, but like, <laughs> I tend to really love that energy. I don't know. I appreciate... I think like my Libra placements can appreciate the way a Scorpio can get right to the point, uh -huh. and my like strong Libra uh, placements kind of can, can. You can flutter and you can yeah. You can kind of does that too. Make it sound nice and make it sound appealing. But I, I wish I had more of that ability. Um, I wish where I the had Scorpio, less of it. <laughs> the Mercury and Scorpio is like no BSing. We're getting to it. Like we're doing. This is what I'm saying. Yeah, I said it. Yeah. Okay. Um, the, yeah, blunt. I like it. <laughs> but they might feel bad about it, too, where I feel like sometimes the Mercury and Sagittarius will be blunt and they don't care. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Um, unless, you know, unless they have other placements, obviously, on their chart that would say otherwise. But Yeah. Um, I thought that was interesting. The North Node um, Moon conjunctions, like I said, uh, they will feel very, like, deeply, like, internally... Um, and emotionally, like, this other person is their destiny. Like, if you feel like um, you have this one energy that you kind of aspired to your whole life, and then this person's inner self was that energy, you'd be like, oh my gosh, wow, this, this person, they're, like, once I get to know them, they're just amazing. Like, you'd be yeah. so amazed and enthralled by that person um, and feel like they're on the, they are the path for you. Like, um, connecting with them emotionally would feel... So, um, kind of addicting and like good. Your North Node, wherever that is on your chart, like you always want more of that energy because it's mm -hmm. kind of like that life path that you're meant to move move into. Um, that made me think of something that I forgot to mention in the story. Really, so this is kind of you know I I feel like it was pretty. It was almost like one sided though in this relationship because it was obvious that Fred was much more devoted to Rose than mm -hmm. she was to him. Oh, and, I have something to say on that too. Okay, this is to an extreme, but <laughs> whenever, you know, obviously he died by suicide, mm -hmm. um, on his tombstone, he had very specific instructions of what he wanted it really? to say. And he, it said on there, or his request, I don't know if anybody actually honored it, but he asked for it to say... Um, he waits for his beloved wife Rose, like, oh, like wow. pretty much like even though she was uh -huh. not speaking to him <laughs> and totally like giving him the cold shoulder, not still returning waits. his letters, like mm. he still had that like loyalty wow. to her, that like you're my destiny, like even in the afterlife. It's very like, Venus and Scorpio. He put that out there of mm -hmm. 
I, I didn't mention that in the story. It just made me think of it. Whereas, like, he was so intensely um, wow. loyal to her to the very end. So, yeah. I want to hear your thoughts on, on that. You know, the fact that she was kind of not well, they, as devoted, maybe. How did I not notice this? They have lunar trines, too. Wow, okay. So they're, you know how I was talking about that grand trine? Uh-huh. <laughs> like, where the, the, she's part of it. And she, of course she is. Of course she is. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, also, with... Uh, hmm. COVID. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we're... we're Oh, I have that other thing to mention. Should I go ahead and do that? You do whatever feels right. Hey, I need you to go sit up there, please. <laughs> okay. I feel like I've gone on for a minute about this, but um, if you go, you guys should hop on the Patreon and actually look at this chart. It, this is a, is lot a on here. chart. Like it is so congested. <laughs> it's more congested than me. Tonight. I was about to say. I was about had, to say, are you gonna make a joke about your allergies? I've had so much like allergy issues right now. So. Okay, so while I was looking for their charts, this is your your surprise, guys. Oh, the surprise! I forgot about it. Oh, I know. I was like, oh, I better get to the surprise. Um. <clears throat> So I was looking up their charts, and obviously I could do this with any any charts, but it happened to pop up um, when I was looking for their chart information, their human design charts. Um, and uh, I was like, you know, maybe I'll, I'll mention something about them. That's kind of cool. Uh, so I reached out to my friend who um, ha- is really into human design charts, um, Sasha. She's the best. Um, she's, she's fucking the best. love her so much. Oh, <laughs> absolutely adore her. So, um, so I, I reached out to her and she gave me some notes on their charts. I thought that'd be fun. Uh, for those of you who don't know what a human design chart is, it is um, partly based in astrology um, and it seems to be more about how you approach life, how you create things. Um, how you work best in creating things, things like that. Creating is good because, um, yeah, I don't know a whole mm-hmm. lot about human design, but everything I've learned is, like, mm-hmm. very much about your approach to things and uh-huh. how you go about things and, like, yeah. Yeah, and, and generally speaking, I know it, it goes into a lot of detail. It's its own whole specific system, mm-hmm. uh, which is why I reached out to another person for their thoughts <laughs> on these charts. Um, so... This is what she said. This is what she sent me. I haven't I actually this. replied yet, but I love this so much. Um, I, I am I am reading it now. So she says, uh, Fred has the same profile as her, oh my and God. she also has a Capricorn moon. Really? <laughs> and so I thought it was just interesting. Um, she said that's super important. If you want to look at anyone with a five line, people project you as their savior. People will literally Whoa. think you are saving them and not to listen to anything you say, uh, five lines have to be super careful. She says, um, they were a manifester and a projector. Um, okay. so those are different types within this system. Mm-hmm. Um, she says, I bet that was an interesting pair. <laughs> <laughs> manifester Fred needs to inform people of his intentions and not ask for advice. Projector Rose needs to be asked for advice or it drains her energy. These are superficial thoughts. She says, Fred is a non-emotional, 
which means that he's absorbing others' emotions instead of generating his own. Wow. What do we think about that? Because that seems so in line with the astrology. Yes. Um, absolutely. That's really cool. And then she says, Rosen is an emotional. Mm-hmm. Of course. Mm-hmm. She says, I think that's really important. <laughs> he might be absorbing her energy and taking it on as his own. Yeah. Uh, I think so. He, not entirely, because obviously he has his own issues, but you know. Right, but um, yeah. She's... It makes him so much worse. Uh, he said, she says, he won't be able to differentiate between his emotions and hers. Mm-hmm. That makes all the sense. Um, she's possibly seeing him as her savior because of his five line. Uh, she says, but I don't know anything about them. <laughs> uh, that is funny that she like mm-hmm. did this blind. That makes me happy. Cause I, I told her who we were talking about, but she said, apparently she didn't know anything about them. Um, she said, with Fred, that third line is meant to learn by failing. Oh. Where he used to see him fail uh-huh. and try and again. Rebuild. And, and fail and rebuild. And it's not phasing him. He's uh-huh. still like going. Like he's mm-hmm. still... He's as if that's how he's meant to be. Very resilient in a lot mm-hmm. of ways as far as like getting knocked off the horse and just jumping right back on a new one. He's like, that horse died. I'll hop on this one. Like, <laughs> uh-huh. He's not... He doesn't slow like that. down. That horse died. I'll hop on yeah, this one. I'll hop like, on this wild horse running by now. Sure. This sounds that's great. That's very Saturn. Maybe Uranus. this will work. Yeah. Like it feels like he should. <laughs> Um, Lilith, yes. And he's not, like, disrupted by it Mm -hmm. emotionally because he's not emotional. He's just like, oh, okay, this is fine. I'll just do this other thing. Like, it's so Mm. interesting. She says, third lines have to feel safe to explore and experiment. Ah, Ah. gross. Mm -hmm. These two are so gross. Um, Let's see. And then she sent me a couple pictures. I think this is Rose's profile, she says. I don't know if I can make this big enough to really read. Oh, yeah. 2-4 profile, hermit, opportunist. Um, well, that does sound kind of like her, doesn't it? Um, she kind of stays in the home, uh-huh. but she makes opportunities out of all these things. Yeah, just things put in a magazine. Just put an ad out there uh-huh. and just never leave your house. And like, they'll come to me and yeah. I'll, t- I'll do all those things. <laughs> that is what she did. Um, hmm. I'm trying to see if there's anything quickly Anything that, that just like jumps here. out at you? You are a natural who is here to be called out by others to share your innate talents and genius. Mm. This is obviously not framed in terms of of a killer, Um, but (laughs) let's see. You have a built-in barrier (coughs) such as a limited point of view that protects you and your unique genius from being Mm. corrupted by outside interference. This barrier has a weak spot. A place where it can be penetrated. Uh, the right call from the right person can lead to profound transformation in your life and propel your purpose and destiny out into the world with a missionary zeal. Uh, so it sounds like she could get very carried away and has limited perspective on life. Um, to me, that's what that kind of sounds that like. Sounds like in terms good, of this a good situation. Summary. Yeah. Um, let's see if there's anything else. Um, the hermit opportunists bond through a strategy of shyness slash boldness. Whoa. Very, that like, seems very again. much her, too. Uh-huh. Um, That's almost like the Virgo and Sagittarius energy, like her moon and her sun, mm-hmm. like kind of. Oh. One's very bold and one is like hermit. The hermit is unaware 
of the quality within that attracts the other, but rather waits for someone to enter their cave and say, oh. you are for me. That's exactly what Fred did. He totally like noticed her and coerced her and gave her all this attention. And like, but she she has her literal rose room cave. Yeah, she does. And just waits for people to come to her and say, "You're for me." And then she just takes advantage of them. This is so interesting. I love the human design incorporated in this. This is kind of fun. Uh, let us know if you like this. We might have like a corner, a human design corner where we feature where I learn human design. Um, yeah, and we also know people who. Mm -hmm. do it and True. like i know somebody um who's awesome and does human design readings and mm -hmm. you know there's her nails are painted navy mine are painted like maroon like it's mine are painted like nothing because <laughs> i don't do that i'm not i don't even paint my toenails i'm like a very not wow. i'm not good at like the girly stuff it says this is the correct way for a hermit opportunist to enter into business commitments. Or oh, my God. So she was doing what she was, she was you know, uh, made to do. Using her skills to... Um, interesting. They need to be turned on to get them involved. They need to be really excited about what they want to do, which makes sense for her. That's so interesting. Okay. This is a cool corner. Other like famous people with this. Ooh, fun. Oprah Winfrey. Okay. Al Gore. Aretha Franklin. Mm-hmm. I don't know who the I other people are. I don't know the other are. people. Uh, Jeff Bridges. Barbara Streisand. Barbara Streisand. Oh, hell yeah. So. That's cool. Okay. That's kind of interesting to add in since I, I happened upon it. That's very cool. So. Thank you, Nastasha, for that. You're Thank amazing. You. We love you. <laughs> So I guess we can wrap up now. Okay. Do you have anything? Else? No, I I just the only other thing that I would have mentioned was the whole grave site, like the thing on his tombstone that he wanted about Rose. That was the only other thing that like I didn't mention in the story that like mm -hmm. I was like, oh yeah, I didn't. I meant to put this in there, but like I don't know. There's so much information that I was like, yeah. There is a lot to this. Okay. All right. So we are going to go ahead and wrap it up. This has been a wild ride. Thank you guys so much for being here, for showing up. We absolutely love doing this. Um, we're so glad that you are enjoying it too. If you really love it, you should give us like a five-star rating or subscribe, mm -hmm. like hit up. the bell, give us thumbs up, All like, follow us on social media, mm -hmm. check out our pages. We always are dropping news and uh, anything cool new that we're doing. We have merchandise now. So you can go to darkalignmentpodcast.com to mm -hmm. get some of our cool stickers. We still have Ooh, we still have we candles and candle. stuff, but they are almost gone. Like they flew off the shelves so fast. So we've got custom scented dark alignment candles that are super, super badass. Like, hey, yeah, we're, we're gonna show you one. These so for those of you who are on uh, YouTube, you can see uh, they smell amazing. <laughs> um, yeah. they are beautiful. Um, Yes, these are done by Anastasia Blue Alchemy. We absolutely recommend if you have any need for candles, altar candles of any sorts, go check them out. They have amazing stuff. Um, so yeah, connect with us, follow us. We're so glad you're here. Join our Patreon. We have very cool, Patreon has been hanging with us for a hot <laughs> They've had all the access behind the scenes mm -hmm. too, which is really fun. Um... And then we also have updates on the Morgan Nick case. So season two, episode seven, we didn't yes. announce that on the podcast yet, but we, we did a separate video that Patreon's already seen mm -hmm. um, about that case. We have a, a huge update that we want to share with you guys. As, oh, the matchmaker thing? 
Could you tell them about that? Oh my god. Okay. Oh my god. So, <laughs> Patreon. Last week on Patreon, we had the best fucking time. We played serial killer, murder, and victim matchmaker. Like, we oh, put everybody into so categories. Great. And we matched them all. We paired them all up. Uh, we had an even number, so that was fun. We had some really amazing couples on there that you guys need to see. It was, it was so fun. It was so, so much enjoyed. fun. Uh, we really enjoyed that. So next we week. into the astrology of them and everything. Yes. Mm-hmm. So we had a really good time with that, kind of revisiting these uh, personalities you guys have gotten familiar with through the podcast. We took literally every person we've ever covered mm-hmm. and uh, made, like, little playing cards so and, like, did a whole matchmaker. And next week for Patreon. So if you're not part of our Patreon yet, you want to get on there because we are going to be um, picking, we're going to be playing like blind date where I, we're both um, like ambiguous. So we're both pan, yeah. We're both pansexual, we're, pansexual. we're both ambiguous. So we are open to all energies. So this is going to be extra fun because we're going to each pick three candidates for the other person today and pitch so, them like a blind date. And we each have to pick either a bachelor or bachelorette um, from the suggestions mm-hmm. from the other person. This is going to be hilarious. I mean, I'm so excited. It's going to be so are, fun. We also would love for our Patreon people mm-hmm. to give us suggestions. Mm-hmm. Who do you think? Mm-hmm. Who would you have chosen for each of us? So Patreon is a good time. Join the party. Get access to all sorts of behind-the-scenes stuff, mm-hmm. including the actual charts, my actual notes. Um, they're a lot of fun to read, uh, minus like the fucked up stuff in there. It's like, you know, you know, you know the way I've written it is a good time. Um, so check that out. And thank you again for being here, for supporting us and uh, stay safe. Love yourselves. Be awesome. And chart all the bitches in your lives. We'll see you next time. Bye.